Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 51, Names, Logos, and a Trio of Guests. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. This week, we finally have those much anticipated XFL team names and logos, as well as other league developments. In addition, we are blessed to have three guests. Later in the show, I will be joined by quarterback Bobby Fralick to discuss his football journey and XFL Washington workout. Also, XFL board writer Greg Parks returns to the show to discuss the XFL new team names, logos, and more. Lastly, LV Sports Biz's Alan Snell joins the show to discuss the Las Vegas Viper Stadium situation and the league's awareness in the Las Vegas market. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On October 31st, the XFL unveiled their official 2023 team names and logos on ESPN by Laura Rutledge. To recap, they are as follows. Arlington Renegades, D.C. Defenders, Houston Roughnecks, Orlando Guardians, Las Vegas Vipers, San Antonio Brahmas, Seattle Sea Dragons, and the St. Louis Battlehawks. To cover the league's logos, I will get XFL board's Greg Parks input and discuss it in further detail later in the show. Also on October 31st, ESPN reported the XFL will announce 16 assigned quarterbacks, two to each team on November 15th. ESPN also reported the XFL's draft will be held at UFC Apex in the Las Vegas area on November 16th and 17th. Also on October 31st, LV Sport Biz's Alan Snell reported talks of the Las Vegas Vipers using Cashman Field as their home in 2023. In his report, Snell also touches on Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas Ballpark, and Sam Boyd Stadium. To sum it up, here are each of the situations. Allegiant Stadium is too big and too expensive to rent. Las Vegas Ballpark is too small to fit a football field. Sam Boyd Stadium is closed, therefore unavailable. According to Snell, Cashman Field is the remaining best situation for the Vipers. The former baseball stadium has since become home to United Soccer League Championships Las Vegas Lights FC, and has 9,334 fixed seats with a record attendance of more than 15,000. Depending on the configuration and the addition of temporary seating, the venue could become a suitable option for the XFL. Later in the show, I will further discuss the ongoing Las Vegas Stadium dilemma with Snell. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by quarterback Bobby Freilich to discuss his football journey and XFL Washington, D.C. workout. Welcome, Bobby. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss your football journey and upcoming XFL Washington, D.C. private workout. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. 
you played your collegiate ball at Division Three Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio. Can you walk us through your recruitment and your college football experience? I guess I'll start in high school. My freshman year, I was maybe five six, 120 pounds. I was not, I was not big at all as a freshman. I was I was considered a late bloomer. I didn't play. I played backup for the freshman team. Sophomore year, I grew a little bit, but didn't gain that much weight. And I was maybe five eight, five nine, somewhere around there. And continued. Then I shared time with the starter on JV. Sophomore year came. The starter was still playing. He went. Uh, his name's Nick Watson. He went to Tiffin University. Broke a bunch of records at D two. A great guy to play underneath. He taught me a lot of stuff. But when it came to my senior year, I realized, like, you know what? I was around 6'1 at the time. I was like, I want to get to at least 180 is what I want to get around. I worked out all summer, drank all my protein shakes, woke up early in the morning, ate breakfast. I got all the way up to 185 before the first preseason game scrimmage. Uh, Coaches called us in, called the junior starter instead of me my senior year. Hurt a little bit, but uh, he's, he was a great athlete. And so I got under-recruited. I, I didn't play that much My in high school. I had very little film of me at scrap time at the end of games. I, uh, a bunch of teams came down, looked at me, D3, some D2, just the way I was built. And uh, they liked the way I was built, and they thought they could develop me. I went up to Center College, Hanover, and then – I, I didn't know where I was going to go. It was between those two schools. Next thing you know, Wittenberg came along. We knew the baseball coach was like, hey, you should come check it out. I was like, what can it hurt? Went up there and then instantly fell in love with it. I love the coaches. I love the head coach. My position coach played at Wittenberg as well. And I just instantly fell in love with coming from a winning program, going to a college program. It was It didn't really change that much. So my freshman year of college, I went in 6'3". 210. I was still growing my freshman year of college. Some people stopped growing. I was continue growing. Started on the JV team in D3. I don't know if a lot of people don't know what D3 has JV games, which is just backups for freshmen to get some playing time. So I started there, went to my sophomore year. I was around 6'4, I want to say around 215. So I was still growing and growing and growing. And I played behind a guy that it really took me under his wing when I first got there. Jake Kennedy, he uh, was a great mentor for me all throughout college. He was two years older than me, so four-year starter. He started his senior year, my sophomore year. I was the backup. I was the Wildcat quarterback in the red zone. They put me in, go just go run it in. I was a lot taller. And then sophomore year, I got the green light. We What we say is the keys to the, keys to the offense. It was an unreal experience for someone that never really played in high school. My dream was to play college. It was just unreal to be able to play at the college level where a lot of people can't play. Unfortunately, I did get hurt my soft, my junior year to a knee injury, but uh, I, I bounced back. I did really well. My senior year came, COVID hit. Unfortunately, that brought me, I still had another year, but kind of took some steps back in the process. And then the senior season came my fifth year, kind of got hurt in uh, camp and then so I split time with another guy on and off. He got hurt. I got hurt. He got hurt. And then that was just the end of that. And I knew I wanted to play to the next level. So I talked to the coaches. I talked to my weight coach. Me and my weight coach just went after it after the season. We just in there day in, day out. And now I'm here. So 
when I viewed your collegiate statistics, your career efficiency rating was a 138. Pretty impressive. You recorded 2,762 passing yards with a 63% completion percentage. Yes. As well as you rushed for 319 yards on only 22 attempts. So that's an average of 14 and a half yards per carry. Mm -hmm. Six rushing (laughs) touchdowns. I must say those numbers somewhat mirror this guy, Josh Allen. Uh, yes. yes, I know. I know that. it's. I know it's D three. I'm. <laughs> I'm a former D three player as well. I played soccer because I didn't come from a high school. I had a football program when I was in high school. They have since then, but so soccer was my thing. So I understand the D three. How you say JV and all that stuff. I I understand yes. it very much. So maybe the most people don't, but it's common. Very common. Yes. <laughs> but you know, I was gonna say I was a little baffled. Didn't say anything from your junior year, but that makes sense. You were injured. I didn't know if maybe some people kind of step away from the team. I've had a lot of stories where people have shared there's been some things with the family and they kind of transferred out and then transferred back to the school, you know, if they had to go closer to home. So I was kind of asking about that, but, you know, was it a season long and you just decided to kind of redshirt the year or was it kind of just you're just trying to bounce back and it just didn't happen? My junior year you're talking about? Yeah. So – it was more of like I got hurt in camp the day before our first inter-squad scrimmage. I hyperextended my knee, so I played the whole season with a brace, and I took away half the game where I'm running, scrambling in the backfield. It was just more sit in the pocket, and I didn't play the first game. I got hurt at the end of game's fourth quarter, just putting a lot of just stress on my knee. Coaches would take me out, put the backup in, and it was just – that's I didn't have a lot of rushing yards that season or – it wasn't our best season either. We went seven and three. We usually go nine and one, ten and zero. So it's definitely a step back. But senior year, I I think I bounced back. Gotcha. From your time at Wittenberg, did you receive any honors, any invitations to any senior bowls, anything like that? Zero invitations, zero plaques from the NCAC from the conference. The only one I could think of is my freshman year. I got scout team defensive player of the year for our team. That's the only plaque I have holding up. I guess it's the only one from college. No invitations anywhere to go play. Nothing. That's not necessarily a bad thing because you're clearly, and we'll get to it here in a little bit, you're progressing, right? It's not like it's it's all she wrote, game over. You're sitting at home, football's past you. So Mm -hmm. clearly you are moving forward without it. Yes. You know, we typically hear about these power five schools, which brings me to my next question. There seems to be a stigma for players who have not played for a NCAA division one power five school. So how do you go about ridding yourself of that stigma and proving you're just as good, if not better than one of those players? I put the chip on my shoulder as every other quarterback would. When like I go to these camps, people don't see me as a, quote unquote D3 football player, D3 quarterback. They're like, oh, where, where, where'd you go? I'm like, oh, you want to know? They go, oh, I know. I'm like, Wittenberg. They go, where's that? It's a little town, Springfield, Ohio. And they're like, is it D1? I was like, no, it's D3. They go, wow. So you're a big build for D3. I said, yeah, I worked my butt off to get here. I, I didn't sit around lazy, but I, I just kind of ignore the stigma and just go out there and do me. Since college, you signed with the Rapid City Marshals of the Champions Indoor Football. 
How did this opportunity come about? Yes. So in high school, I told myself, I set a goal. I always want to play college football. I always wanted D1, D2, D3, NAIA, whatever it was. I set that goal and I, I achieved that goal. I, I played college football. doesn't matter what level. And then after, during college, I was like, you know what? I want to play at, a, at, a, at the next level. I don't know. I don't care what it is. I want to get paid to play a kid's sport. That was always my goal. I've always wanted to get paid to play football. And so ever since then, once football ended, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out. I'm going to get faster, stronger. I'm going to develop my skills on the field and off the field. And then I got in contact with my agent, a pro-level agency. He, they did an amazing job. They got in contact with Rapid City. And ever since then, the, the CIF, it was, it was an amazing experience. Arena ball is a different game from the outdoor game. I don't know if you've seen the Kurt Warner movie, American Underdog. And it, whatever, however he explains it, is exactly how it is. And it is awesome. So I viewed your Rapid City Marshalls profile. It was kind of funny. We kind of already answered one of them. There wasn't really much for statistics on there. No. But yeah. I was kind of surprised. I'm like, because I've seen plenty of your highlights. You know, they're on YouTube. You can find them, whatever. So can you walk us through how how much playing time you got? And mm-hmm. in a, how did that work out for you? Where... You know, we know the game is significantly different than traditional, like we had mentioned. Yes. So how has that impacted your style of play and your strengths? Has it strengthened certain weaknesses and stuff? I know it's a loaded question. I'll let you have the floor. So I only played three and a half games. So preseason, I played the first half, and they pulled me. I think I went five for five with three touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And then I played three season games. And that third – game I unfortunately tore my MCL so I'm just got so not just got back maybe a month month and a half I've been cleared I've been just working out working my knee working my mobility it was just an unfortunate event that happened but I mean I had I going into our third game all the other teams played five six games we had two bye weeks back to back our first and second week and I was top two quarterback in the league in our third game and people have already played six games. So if that kind of shows on where our team was at the time and where my stats were, it was just unreal. But when it comes, when it came to arena football, uh, it's a lot quicker. And my, my reads became quicker. I got the ball out faster. I, I anticipated throws. I had to run a lot. The scramble drill that you hear from outdoors, quarterback escapes the pocket, scramble drill, quarter, the receivers come to you. That's almost every play. So every play you're working scramble drill. And I went to a combine early in the year when I first got the rapid, flew back to India. I did a little combine for a national scouting combine. And I read my report and they say he doesn't really anticipate throws that much. So that's where I worked on. That was my weakness. And I I think arena ball really helped me with my anticipation, just getting the ball out quicker. And that that little mental clock in my head. And it's I think it's developed my game a lot. I think it became tougher as well mentally and physically because you're playing against just a bunch of warriors on the field that just want to take your head off. And it's it's a closer quarters game. It's it's a lot of fun when you when you get good at it, I guess. So you were the guy until the injury. Yes, I was a starter. I was a starter for three and a half games, and I that it was awesome. Who did you have to beat out? And what were their backgrounds like? It's not to throw anybody underneath the bus. It's just, no. you know, it's just no. to kind of 
share your story and where you had your adversity from coming from a small school, but who did you, who did you beat out to get the job? So it was, they brought in two quarterbacks. One was, uh, we went to this little D one double a school, I think in like Texas or California, I forget where it was, but it was, his name was Shane Martinez. He was a good quarterback, but I, I just showed up and first two or three days of camp, I just, they just fell in love with me. I was making reads. I was making throws. I was running the ball and they just kind of fell in love with me. Like, you know what? This is going to be our guy that said they were looking for a taller, bigger build type guy. Cause a lot of arena teams don't have actual quarterbacks. They kind of have receivers or running backs playing quarterback just so they have to run a lot. And I was a legit quarterback playing on a arena team and they just fell in love with it. I fell in love with my height, my speed at six, five, two thirty, And they just loved it. I was just going to ask that because you keep mentioning your height and you talk about how you're growing. Yes. And I was, was going to say your high, whatever high school or college uh, profile of mentioning you were six, five, even though your rapid city one mentioned you were six, one. I was like, well, that clearly didn't make any sense. But yeah, that's yeah, they, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't six, one. No, <laughs> you, you didn't shrink that quick. No, no. no yes. Yeah, so I'm six, five, two thirty, two thirty five. I usually play between two twenty, two twenty five, but I decided to, gain some weight. If I'm going to go to the next level, I got to have some type of muscle and build on my body. So now the listeners will understand maybe a little bit more statistically why and built why I used the Josh Allen comparison. You know, you're probably like, yeah. I, I didn't get it, but six, five, that's yes. a good frame. That's prototypical, right? Isn't that what the NFL we're always constantly talking about is that guy that's not, you know, six foot or less, but it's, they really want those six, four, six, five, six, six guys. Yes. Yes. I, I was, I was gaining weight and I got to two thirty, two thirty five. I'm like, one of my quarterbacks are six, five, two thirty five. I looked up my height and weight. First person I popped up was Josh Allen. I was like, you know what? I'm going to kind of mold my game after him. And ever since then. So you already talked about the strengths from arena. Has that significantly improved your game? Or has it been like, oh, okay, I'm still a work in progress. Like, I get it. Everyone's still always working on something. I mean, how much has that improved? I know it was a brief three and a half yes. games, but did it impact your game so much that you are a drastically different player? I would say it has changed my game a lot. Like, the first few practices in arena, I was holding on to the ball way too long. I was waiting for people to get open. And my coach came up to me and said, you have to take the whole dynamics of outdoor football out of your brain. So you can keep you can keep the mechanics, but the, like how it's played, it's completely different. So after a while, I stayed in practice. I worked on throwing balls quicker and faster, working on my footwork. And I think I have changed a lot, but I think nobody's perfect. Like they said, practice makes perfect. And I think practice makes permanent. There's a lot of things that you can always work on. And I think it has changed me, but I still have a lot of things that I could work on to make myself a better football player. So now let's segue into that. You have accepted an invitation. I understand you will be participating at the Washington DC XFL private workout. Yes. How did this opportunity present itself? I was, so like I said, I got hurt and I was unable to go to any of the showcases they had set up. I was talking to my agent and I was like, it's a bummer. I'm unable to go to any of these. I mean, I could, but I had to be stationary. I wouldn't be able to move in the pocket. I wouldn't be able to roll out, run my 40. I was like, it's just a bummer. And a few months went by. Well, I guess, yeah, a few months went by. Next thing you know, he's like, hey, 
XFL's holding a few private workouts. And he's like, how does that sound? And I was like, that sounds amazing. Like anyone that doesn't take it, like that's just insane. That's crazy. And he's like, all right, I'm going to put your name on this list. I'm going to send it out to every, all these coaches. Next thing you know, I was supposed to go to Florida, to the Florida one, but that one, all the quarterbacks were booked. And I was like, oh, darn. And then I went. So I was on vacation that time. And while I was on vacation, he goes, hey, he goes, one just opened up in Nashville. He said, we're, we're, we're going to sign you up. I said, send me the link right now and I'll sign up. And ever since then, I've been just waiting for that moment to get back on the field in front of some coaches and show what I got. So you're ready to rock and roll with us, uh-huh. right? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm, if it was tomorrow, I'd be ready to go. I'm, I'm excited. I can't sleep at night sometimes thinking about it. So you're back to 100% or pretty close to it? Yes, back to 100%. Well, that's good to know. It's awesome. Yes. You didn't get an opportunity to participate in any showcases. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. But we have learned uh, about two weeks ago that American National Combines is putting on another showcase in October out in San Diego that all of the XFL coaching staffs are going to be in attendance for to scout. Yes. Is this on your radar? Is this something that uh, maybe it wasn't, but now it is, and you're interested in seeing have, if you could participate in it? I have talked to my agent about it. He said, let's worry about this workout coming up. Don't worry about the future. And if, if I do well enough in front of these coaches, the coaches talk. They're, they're, they're going to talk to each other. Like, hey, this guy, Bobby Frelick, he's, you guys should check out his film. If I do well enough, I don't think I have to go there. But if I don't hear anything, I'll probably end up going out there again just to show what I got in front of all the coaches. The reason why I asked that, and it sounds like you you pretty much answered it, is that I was at first wondering if these private workouts were going to be different than these showcases. Because I know the showcases, it was for all coaching staffs, all teams to see. And I was kind of like, well, are these workouts so private that – this is only this one team looking, but sounds like they're sharing the information with the other teams. I don't know how it goes, but I've been around football and coaches do talk and I feel like they would talk unless they really like me and want to keep it as private as possible. They don't want to tell anybody, but if I do well enough, my name will be in the draft pool. So I'm not officially in the draft pool. So once my name gets in there, they're like, Oh, who's this guy? Then I feel like they'd look at my film or if they're going to videotape the private workout, then I feel like they'd have to look that look look at that as well. Well, right, because I was going to say that would be at least the yes. the tip of the hat to other teams. They got to get it to the league, and the league's going to make a decision. Whether well, it's Doug Whaley, Mark Lillibridge, those guys are going to have yes. to make a decision. Okay, an invite's going out. So once that happens, it's a little bit mm-hmm. more than just the team would have knowledge, yes. right? So there yes. would be some words, and I bet you other teams would be. Uh, making some phone calls. Okay, well, all right. Who's this six foot five yeah. kid from some yeah. school I never heard of? I yeah. could watch a couple clips on YouTube, but clearly he just got an yeah. invite. What's the story here? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, it, the, the, the only problem with that is is the DC coaches will will see me in person, and other coaches will just see it on film and be like, ah, oh, he doesn't look that big. And DC coach, he looks like a pretty big guy to me. So <laughs> also, we'll have to. After it was a September 24th. Yes, I, I believe it should work out. And we'll have to see if we end up uh, seeing your name added to the American National Combines for San Diego. Yes. So you previously had stated your agency, and this is where I kind of let you talk about them a little bit because 
I think it's important because we had a little debacle, you know, back in August with some fake invitations going out and stuff. So I try to share or give everyone an opportunity here to share their agency and why you chose to go with them. How are they helping you in the pursuit of achieving your goals? Those type of things. I'm with pro level agency, uh, buddy Walters and uh, Vince is who, who I've been in contact with the most. Vince is my agent. Buddy Walters kind of runs the operations, but uh, they're not your typical suit and tie suitcase carrying they're not, they're involved with athletes they're going to be they're going to be athletic wear a bit okay we're going to be comfortable if you're going to be comfortable we're not going to be all stuck up it's more of like we're going to be comfortable with you we're going to get you the best opportunity possible and they don't really sugarcoat anything either like i I've, I've talked to him he goes you could play at a high level he said other people will only play at maybe arena level or nothing's wrong with arena but overseas as well nothing's wrong with playing there because that's just where they're going to cap off at and they're a great agency. They they get stuff done. I've actually have two of my friends on the agency as well. Once I got three of them, once I got into it, I was like, Hey, you got to check these guys out. These guys are getting a lot of stuff done for me. Whether it's putting me up in combines, putting me out in rapid city, putting me in this workout. And ever since then I had a friend that played in arena because of this agency, he's in the XFL draft pool as well, I think. So what would you say to people, right? Because there's always that other stigma. Anyone that's playing arena, I mean, can't be worth being looked at for anything other than arena football. Like, I mean, we have our Kurt Warners. We have a couple guys. But what can you really say about that process and looking at these other lower leagues like you're, you're striving to get into the XFL? What is it that you could explain to some people that, there are some players just sitting at home, like, I'm not going to take that opportunity. I'm too good for it. What is that you can kind of just explain to them why this process makes sense, at least for you, but why? Yeah. So I think it just makes it the process even better the where you came from. The better, it just becomes a better story. Like, hey, I was under-recruited. I played D3. Then I went to arena. Next thing you know, I'm in the XFL combine. Next thing you know, NFL teams are looking at me. Practice squad. Next thing you know, I'm starting. It's just, it, it just makes that whole road just even better. And I, I've never looked down on a league. Anyone that's given me opportunity, I've always responded. I've looked at, I've talked to them. If it's arena, overseas, uh, I, I'll play any league that wants me. Just the even to even if it's to get filmed. Like if they don't want to play arena. Like I'm not playing arena. But knowing that like a higher league's looking at you, uh, arena is a great place to get found. It's, it's or even overseas. I mean, you're gonna get the best film, and it, I think people overlook their opportunities because coming out of high school, a lot of people I played with were D1, and other te- other people on the team were well, it's D1 or bust, and they always say that. And I'm like, I'm playing the one that gives me opportunity. That's that's where I'm going. Next thing you know, here I am about to do a workout with the XFL. So I've been just following the road that's been paved for me. A little while ago, I came across a tweet and I retweeted it. And it was about Julius Chestnut. I don't know if you know, you're know you familiar with him yeah. Yeah. for the Titans. So mm-hmm. he was a zero-star high school player. Mm-hmm. He had one college offer. No invite to the NFL Combine. But he made the 53-man roster for the Tennessee Titans. He's literally the definition of it doesn't matter where you came from, how you were rated. 
right? Yes. We keep hearing the Kurt Warner story. We hear yes. um, the offensive lineman. I always his name always slips my mind. That played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That played for D three Hobart in Geneva, New York. I forget who that is. He started and won a Super Bowl with the with the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. These are the reason why people have to stop looking down upon all of where you played, what you were rated coming out of high school. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I know everyone's got, well, the film doesn't lie. Yes. Well, apparently it lied on that guy. He's in the national football league. Yeah, yes. Won Super Bowls, right? Yes. So I, yeah, I didn't really get with that either. I, I mean, I was zero stars, had no offers, just D3, and then no invites anywhere. Just kind of made my own road, and it was it was a long process. But, yeah, there was a bug in the NFL. And he became a great athlete, as, as he is right now, not just Eric to Pittsburgh. But and you get the Kurt Warner story, which he played high school, college, went on to, for what, Green Bay? He went to the practice squad for Green Bay, and then they cut him played arena and now, now look at him. He's a Hall of Famer. So I think it just makes that whole process even better from where you came from. If you came from nothing to something, I think it's just a way better story. And it just makes you – and it's just the love of the game. Like I wasn't getting a scholarship for D3. I wasn't getting paid as these athletes are now for D3. It's just I was out there just loving the game every second of it, and I think it's just a lot better. Well, it just goes to that maybe you weren't seen – and it took yes. different avenue to get another glimpse or to get put on a radar and then to be seen. Yes. It's just, if you believe you have it, and if you have your own coaches telling you that you have what it takes to keep playing right yes. beyond college, then that's the evidence right there that a player shouldn't give up. And it's awesome that yes. you're still going. And I'm not saying that you're several yes. years removed from your college days, but no. I hope that other players that are tuning into this kind of get like, well, hey, D3, yes. but he's six foot five. And obviously, he's not just a pocket guy. He can scramble. He can do right. It's don't judge the book by its cover. Read the exactly. book and then yeah, let's talk exactly. about it. You know, it, it, it's crazy because the high school I came from, we had great athletes in front of me. So I just had no opportunity to show off my skills in high school. It was, we were a powerhouse and it was just, like the kid in front of me went to Tiffin. D2 broke a bunch of records. He had a workout with the Bengals. And then my senior year, the dude that played in front of me went to UC to play baseball. He was an All-American there. And I was at Tennessee about to get drafted for the MLB. Like I just had a bunch of athletes in front of me. Didn't have an opportunity to show off my skills. So, And I didn't have the coaches in my ear telling me I'm going to be something in high school. I just decided to do it myself. So I just went on my own and college coach was like dude you could be somebody and I was like huh I said I've never heard someone tell me that before so then I just started working my butt off and now look where I am could you imagine if you had that belief in high school what maybe oh. could have been a little bit different I'm not saying it would have been but yes it does take the right coach and that's where I think a lot of coaches a lot of people are like oh somebody's just a you know a jock so they turn into a coach well some of these guys actually have passion for the game and actually are invested in their players so I'm glad you found that in college, even if it was D3, it doesn't yes. matter because I think there's that stigma about D3 that it isn't worth anything. Well, I don't think how many people realize there are D1 bounce backs like all the time. I saw it with our basketball team at Casanova. 
there were three D1 guys that bounced back. One guy couldn't even get into the rotation. That just, and he was playing at Bethune Cookman, but he couldn't even get into the rotation, you know, at, at Cavs. So, how does that make sense, right? So it's just, it's yeah, funny it how, no but it does that tell you when we see sometimes these weird matchups throw on ESPN Plus, right? Prime, you know, I'm using basketball as an example because you get D1s playing against a D2 or a random D3 team. And all of a sudden you see the D3 teams actually putting up pretty, a pretty good fight against the D one team. And you're like, wait, yes. if it's that much of a difference, folks, how is it at a competitive game? Yeah. It doesn't really like, yeah. It, I had a lot I of mean, people on my team. I had a receiver from UK that came to our team. He struggled at the beginning and our other receivers. I mean, it's just, I feel like the difference between D one and D three are just, I think size. I think it's just size. Like our receivers were no bigger than six foot and our DBs weren't, any taller than six foot either but when we had our the dropbacks coming like a receiver from uk he was six foot five ran a four four or when we had a db come in he was six two six three he was just i think it's just a size thing and people don't get that there is talent at the d3 level they just have to look hard enough and you have to give people a chance and i think people overlook them they want that d1 they want that name that espn has been talking about the whole time they don't want no no name on their team and it's just I think people overlook D3 a lot, D3 and D2. And just for a prime example, so my younger brother, better soccer player than I was, he passed mm-hmm. up on two opportunities in D1 to come play at the school I did. Mm-hmm. Right? So he made a choice because he's like, yes. oh, heck, you know, I can go play college soccer. I'm probably not going to go pro anyway because back then there wasn't as many professional soccer teams as there are now. Yes. Right? It is what it is. But he's like, I'm never going to have an opportunity to play with my brother. Right. So mm-hmm. he chose to go to the school that I was at, which is another prime example that a division one player guy had an offer, right. He would have played on a D one team. Yeah. Just chose to play D three. I mean, so we could beat this dead horse, but like, I just, yes. I hope people can let go of these stigmas that D three D twos, NAIAs, whatever they are. Some people just decide mm-hmm. to stay closer to home, whatever. There's a whole slew yes. of reasons. That doesn't mean that they're not good enough. Size, yeah, I'll give you that. That's probably a big part yes. of it. But, yes, but I mean, yeah, it, like you said, it, the stigma with D3, I mean, there's a bunch of guys that stayed local that could have went D1. They just want to stay closer to home. They had family at home. They had, they had to work another job at D3. You were working at Chipotle. You're working at the nearest sub place just to make money to support your family as well, and you're playing football on the side. Whereas D1, you're football in school where D3 it's school school work and then football it's it's a whole different life down there it's awesome academic piece right so a yes. lot of people are not aware that you have to have a certain uh, or a minimum SAT yes. score to even play division 1 so you may be of D1 talent you may even be of D1 size but if you didn't score on the SAT or ACT whatever way you're trying to navigate into the, if you couldn't you can't play anyway so i i think there's a big no. stigma there with it so i don't want to keep beating that dead horse yeah <laughs> we can talk about all that <laughs> so why don't we shift away from football so what are you doing outside of football i know you're playing you know indoor but you know do you have another job what's your daily so, routine look like so I, I just pretty much every day wake up and train uh, i got offered a job to sell medical devices but 
I talked to him. He said, you're a cop. We want college athletes. He's like, but I see you pursuing this dream. He goes, I'm not going to pull you away from that. This job will be here when you get back. Whenever you're done, decide to hang up the cleats. Let me know. Call me back. And I was like, oh, so I got a job set up. And I'm ever right now I'm just training uh, every day, day in, day out, 25-8. It's, it's a grind. A lot of sacrifices have been made. But that's got to feel good. You already, if it doesn't work, you already have something, right? A lot of people are like, I don't even know what I would do. You hear a lot of players always like, I just bet so much or went all in on this. I don't know what's going to happen if it doesn't happen. It's a good thing that you have it, whether it's your dream job or not, doesn't matter, but you have something that has got to be encouraging and taking some of the weight off your shoulders to some point so you can really focus. Yeah, a a little bit. I mean, I, I, I do set goals for myself. I've always said, Plan A is plan A. There, there is no plan B. If plan A doesn't work out, you got to work harder for plan A. But coming out of Wittenberg, I got a good, a great education with a great degree. The alumni is awesome there. There's a bunch of people that got set up with jobs. The owner of Stanley Steamer, I don't know if you heard of Stanley Steamer, the carpet cleaning places. He went to Wittenberg and he's set up jobs all across the U.S. for him. So, I mean, I can even go and do that if I wanted to. It's just, but plan A is reach the highest I can go with football. If it doesn't happen, work a little bit harder. If it doesn't happen, then I guess I'll fall back and coach football while I do medical devices on the side. So Sounds awesome to me. Why not? <laughs> so I've had an XFL executive on the show before. Yes. So I typically provide each of my guests an opportunity or a last plea, if you will. If an XFL coach or coaches, you know, league staff members, were to tune into this episode and they're learning about you. What is there that is just greatly unknown, but very important, vital to who you are that they should know? And why should they send you that draft invitation after your workout in DC and ultimately select you over another player? Yeah. So you said unknown, but I think, I think I'm kind of an open book at this point. I mean, I, I play with a chip on my shoulder. I want to win. Uh, I could care less about money. I, I just, I want to win, play a chip on my shoulder. And it's, I'm very coachable. I think that's what I take pride in a lot is right now I'm working out with the dude that's been training Joe Burrow. I've, I've been working out with him and he, he tells me to do something. The next time I rep it out, it's the way he told me to do it. It's just, I'm a coachable guy, whether it's on, on the field or off the field. I, I, I carry my presence. I carry weight with my name or whatever logos on my shirt. I just carry it with pride. And I, I want to win and I want to be in a winning situation. I want to be in a winning organization. I want to make the hall of fame. I have high goals for myself. And if I bring other people along with me, everyone shoots for the stars. I mean, one of us are going to land there, but I mean, if everyone shoots for the same goal and on the team that I'm leading, we're, we're going to be a great team. Well, Bobby, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time yes, to sir. come on to the show and talk with me about your journey and your upcoming XFL workout. Yes, sir. I hope you do receive your invitation and ultimately get uh, selected in the draft. And if you do, I'd love to have you come back on the show sometime so we can discuss what that XFL journey is like and how your team's progressing. Yes, sir. I will. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, you're welcome. If some of our listeners wanted to be able to follow you and your journey, where could they do so? I'm on Twitter at uh, B Freilich 4, uh, Instagram, uh, Bobby Freilich, you just look it up. 
I'm not on social media a lot. I try to stay away from it, but if I have to, I'll, I'll get on it. And I'm on Facebook every once in a while, not that much, but if they want to tune in, see what I'm up to, it's most likely going to be Instagram. So, well, maybe they could look you up on YouTube, some of those clips they if they just want to know. As well. Yeah. yeah. To see what you're all about. Yes. Well, perfect. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Seeing we are less than two weeks until the XFL draft, the odds that Bobby receives an invitation to the draft pool look slim. However, players are still receiving invitations and posting them on social media. Hopefully, Bobby is one of them. After all, he's built like Josh Allen and could be an interesting prospect to display his abilities in the XFL. As I previously mentioned, we will now be joined by XFL board writer Greg Parts to discuss the new XFL team names and logos. Welcome, Greg. I appreciate taking the time to return to the show to discuss the XFL team names and logos. Yeah, it's good to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. I mean, we finally got that news, right? So let's just dive right into it. Everything that everyone's been craving. So bright and early on Halloween morning, the XFL unveiled their 2023 team names and logos. So just to recap, they are as follows. The Arlington Renegades, the D.C. Defenders, Houston Roughnecks, Las Vegas Vipers, Orlando Guardians, San Antonio Brahmas. Okay, there we go. Yep. Just keeping it real. The <laughs> Seattle Sea Dragons and the St. Louis Battlehawks. To be fair, back on September 24th, XFL Newsroom founder Stefan Raychuk unearthed and reported each of these team names, and they were later on essentially confirmed by XFL Insider and XFL News Hub's Mike Mitchell on September 29th. Kudos to both gentlemen, right, for making sure that we had this. But it's official. We'll get to those logos in a moment. Greg, what are your first thoughts on these team names? I find, and I know it's ironic that I'm on this episode with you, but the discourse surrounding the team identities, I just don't have the passion for it that some people do. Like, there are some people who are, like, rattling cages, like, negatively or positively, and I just can't muster up that kind of emotion i can say whether they're good or bad or whether i like them or dislike them but i can't say that it is a passion that burns inside of me <laughs> let me put it that way i mean i feel like whether it's a league like the xfl or whether it's an expansion team in a major sports entity like the nfl or or nba there's a certain cycle where the team name is announced, everybody hates it, and then, you know, by the time the games play, everybody forgets about it. And it's just it's just one of another 30 or 32 teams. I mean, I remember when the Houston Texans were announced, and people dunked on that nickname forever <laughs> for the lack of creativity, for, you know, whatever it was. And now you don't think of that team anything other than the Houston Texans. It's just another one of 32 NFL franchises. So I think, you know, by the time kickoff rolls around in February, by the time ideally year two rolls around, these are just going to be the teams. Everybody will have accepted it and it's no one's going to think it's a big deal anymore. So let me put my cards on the table there. That being said, I like that most of the team nicknames return from 2020. I think the branding from 2020 was a good one. And I don't think there is enough negative equity built up with these, even though the league filed bankruptcy. 
I don't think people associate the individual franchises with a failure of that league. So it's not like they needed a total rebrand. And I do kind of feel like it's a, it's a peace offering by the league to those cities to say, Hey, you know, we're coming back. The team that you loved in 2020, the team that drew uh, 30,000 in St. Louis, the team that drew 20, 25,000 in Seattle, they're coming back basically as is, you know, a tweak to the sea dragons and what have you. Uh, the battle Hawks obviously had to stay just because of the success of that team. You know, I know there was some talk that the roughnecks would have to change either the nickname or the logo because of lawsuits that had been filed, but I- I'm glad they were able to keep that. I'm not really sure the point of the change to sea dragons from Seattle Dragons to Seattle Sea Dragons. I'm not sure what creative went into that since it's basically a very similar logo, very similar color scheme. I, I, but that being said, I don't hate it. Like I get that port, uh, that Seattle is, I guess, near the ocean up there and, and maybe near some water. So I guess incorporating that into the team name makes it a little more local than Dragons, which is a, a mythical beast that I'm not sure has any connection to Seattle. And and so I, I feel like, as you mentioned, we've known these names since late September. So we've had a while to process them. I don't think there's that kind of strong feelings either way. We've just kind of come to accept them. And it was more about the logos and the color schemes and that sort of thing. I had previously stated on Twitter that I'm pleased with the XFL names and logos. As for the names, the league did a good job. And I think that's mainly why, right? I think we had already known these. It wasn't such a shock. So it's just, they made it official. They didn't turn their back on the previous iterations, yet embraced 2020 by keeping the Renegades, the Defenders, the Roughnecks, the Guardians and Vipers names, and only tweaked, you know, the Sea Dragons. So I kind of understand it. I kind of don't. But it's like, is it that big of a difference? I mean, maybe it's more... So for the fans of Seattle, it just, yeah. you know, but for me, you know, it's like, okay, it, it, it is what it is. It's just a little tweak. They essentially, right. kept it. it's, it's the same, but you just added a little three letter word to it. And I think that's part of my feeling too, is I, I was not a passionate fan of any one of those teams. So perhaps if I had been, I would take it a little differently if there were changes to the team names or anything like that. But the fact that I, I had not really staked my claim to any one team as far as fandom goes made it a little easier for me to accept just the 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 general outcome of the reveals now i'm not sure the guardians of viper names will keep those 2020 fan bases engaged for 2023 you know just because you kept the nickname yeah that's how whatever just happened to work out for me and my fiance, that we <laughs> right. were previously New York Guardian season ticket holders, and now we're able to follow the Orlando team, seeing that we live here in Southwest Florida. Yeah, get a lot of get a lot of New York City transports down to to Florida. So who knows? Maybe maybe that'll do it. But yeah, I guess if that would be probably my biggest criticism. I don't dislike the Vipers' names. I don't dislike the Guardians' names. I just, if you are a potential XFL fan in Las Vegas or Orlando. And the big reveal was to get a recycled team name and really a recycled logo in, in the case of the guardians from another city from 2020. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. Like I, I, I'm, there's not that level of personalization to that city that maybe you would like to see. So I would question that. 
I guess, um, more so than anything else. But I, I'm not sure how much in the long run that's going to matter. But on a serious note, uh, you know, name recognition, it is important. So I, I guess if you're a casual fan and you didn't live in a city that wasn't, you know, attached to a particular team, yeah, you know, you've heard the Guardians before, you've heard the Vipers before. So, I mean, I guess a name recognition is important. So yeah. the league going that route to take advantage, therefore they could keep the existing social media accounts and those following. So the moment if they put something out, they can just keep going with it. Because if we look back to 2020, the Twitter handles were a generic at XFL Guardians, at XFL Vipers. They never had the city listed in it. So it's almost like we could see this coming, even if 2020 never shut down, that we could have seen teams shifting cities, right? And we had heard, seen, or read reports that there was – you know, the likelihood of the Wildcats moving to San Diego and stuff like there was an interest back, even back a while ago. So, mm-hmm. okay. It's not that surprising. If you stop and think about it, that, all right, you own your trademarks, that intellectual property. Okay. You want to use it in some way. You just tweak, maybe sea dragons, maybe tweak the logo a little bit and switch some colors on them to make it work. But in the grand scheme of things, it does make some sense to capitalize on something that you bought in the bankruptcy, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. essentially not only bought the XFL letters. You're buying what people knew of it, what they were mm-hmm. fond of from it, right? So in some yeah. way, all right, I get, yeah, is it recycled? Yeah, but at the same time, it didn't shock me when it was reported back in September. Doesn't shock me now that it's official. It kind of makes sense. And there is precedence for this in, in the major four sports. You know, the, the Vancouver Grizzlies moved to Memphis and became the Memphis Grizzlies. And um, I'm not sure how many Grizzlies are in Memphis, but, um, you know, there, there was all kinds of rebranding you could have done uh, in this in a city like Memphis. And they chose not to. And now, you know, they're just the Memphis Grizzlies. And that's become an accepted part of, of the league. So there is precedence from major sports leagues for that. And I will say Vegas Vipers sounds good. I like the sound of it. And when you think of a desert area like Vegas, you think of snakes. I, I don't know specifically whether there are vipers there or any other kind of snakes, um, but that pairing does make sense. Or again, Orlando Guardians, I'm a little more, I'm a little less bullish on, on the, the Orlando Guardians name and uh, just the whole combination there. But yeah, Vegas Vipers, I think makes sense. And there is precedence for it. So the new one, San Antonio, mm-hmm. Thomas. We could see this coming from a mile away, right? It seems like to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson's, yeah, personal stamp on the the league, and we can get into the logo here in a little bit. So why don't we just go ahead and shift our focus into those redesigned logos, <laughs> so we can talk about those? What are your first thoughts after seeing all eight of those? Yeah, and, and going back to the nicknames real quick, too, I think what I look for in nicknames is just uniqueness of it. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I wasn't thrilled about Wildcats for L.A. I, I got the connection. I understood why they went that direction. But, I mean, how many college team nicknames are the Wildcats? You know, so I, I like if you're going to be starting up a new league, go into some territory that that hasn't been mined before. So when someone says the team nickname, you know exactly what league they're talking about. You know exactly what team they're talking about. So 
you know, I like the uniqueness of the team names. And the, the thing that I look for too in logos and color schemes is, is there a variety of color schemes throughout the league? And I thought they did a good job. I think, you know, DC and Vegas with the red are very close, but Vegas seems to almost have a different shade of red. It's almost a, a brighter red than DC. So I, I'll give them a pass for that, depending on what the jerseys and things look like. But I like the the variety in the color schemes for each of the teams, which is, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like the Tampa Bay Vipers in, in 2020. A lot of people did not like the bright green, um, but I liked it because it stood out and it was different and it was separate from any of the other colors in the league. And so you've got the Orlando Guardians, which have uh, a, a smidge of that green in that guardians logo. And so I'm, I'm on board with that too. Um, because it's, you know, that bright palette is, uh, you know, Florida, <laughs> you know, that, that is representative, I think of Florida. And so having that distinct color belong to an Orlando team, I'm fine with it. I think my the shirt that I'm wearing is a little bit, <laughs> now that I think about it uh, a little bit, uh, that shade as well. But yeah, I, I thought that the color schemes were all different enough to where I could give it a thumbs up. And the logos, look, I, it's the same principle for me here. I'm not one to be so passionate about logos and stuff that I'm going to rail on one. Um, are, are there ones that I like better than others? Sure. The Roughnecks, I... You know, going back to what I said about the name and the surprise that they were able to keep that name. Uh, similarly, I guess they tweaked the oil rig logo enough to be able to keep it because I know there was some controversy there with that logo. Um, and I'm glad that was, I think, one of the most popular logos from 2020 and team names. So I'm glad they were able to keep that. I really liked the Renegades, um, the kind of bandit logo that they had in 2020. Uh, it looks like that's going to be their secondary logo now, although that information has been pulled from the initial ESPN.com article that had the logos with the secondary logos. But I would have preferred that to be the primary logo again. They didn't really touch the Battle Hawks, which, again, is smart because that was a very popular, perhaps the most popular brand of 2020. Removed some of the gray. That's all they really did. It's like yeah. the extra shading in it, which yeah. is probably a good move. I think the Battlehawks and the Roughnecks, from my recollection, were probably the two of the most popular brands of 2020 in terms of, you know, people just saying, hey, that's a really good logo and that's a really good name. So, yeah, I I think it was fine, ultimately. I, I really don't have a problem. I'm not going to sit here and pound the table against any of them. I think they're all fine. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I know it's not, it doesn't make for headline grabbing uh, commentary or it's not a hot take that you can post on Twitter to advertise this, this show for Mike, but it's just, I think they're, they're fine. And I, I'm really interested in seeing the uniforms and what they look like. And, and I, you know, we'll talk about the rollout later, but I, I also thought the rollout was pretty well done too. Yeah. I'm not a big hot take show. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty straightforward. Anyone that probably listens to it thinks I'm too vanilla, if anything. So uh, <laughs> maybe too white collar. That's a good word. Never, I don't know if I've heard that term before, but that's interesting. Yeah, you know, <laughs> anything else? Enlighten me, please do. <laughs> Somewhat torn, and I'm going to use that word a little loosely here. Mostly positive about the logos. I think Arlington logo is just simple. I mean, it could have been better. So, you know, it just seems like that's the letdown. 
I think the DC Defenders, although simplistic, works really well. The Houston Roughnecks logo is damn near perfect, right? <laughs> However, like you said, they found a way to make it. They just made that H a little bit more of a focal point, and the rig is still there, just not as prevalent in it. The Vegas Vipers logo is a significant upgrade, in my opinion, from 2020. I mean, it's not much you could really do, but it does look upgraded. Uh, but it just seems like that could also have been better. I don't know how, but it just seems like it's still eh, leaving a little bit. The Orlando Guardians logo is a slight upgrade from 2020 from the New York Guardians logo. It just seems like it's an odd fit for a Florida team. You know, going back. But I think that green, coming back to that, I think that might be a peace offering to try to get some of those Tampa fans, even though there weren't many of them. Yeah. You make that drive down I-4. So that's probably where that kind of comes in. And it could be a play for all these New Yorkers like myself that have transplanted since the 2020 season. It could be, I I was going to follow the Orlando team anyway. We have talked about it multiple times, but now it just makes perfect sense. I can still kind of wear my guardians gear and it kind of makes sense. It just looks like the team Mm -hmm. relocated, if you will. As far as San Antonio, the Brahmas, it is literally perfect. I think that logo is probably the best. The only thing I'm kind of torn at so why put that B right there? It's there. It's not staring you right in the face or, you know, or anything, but they didn't need it. The logo itself, I think, was it might just be the best logo. In my opinion, it might just be the best one. The Seattle Sea Dragons, it's all right. I would rather they have used the secondary logo from 2020. that just kind of had the tail in the S. It just seems like it's still, if you went that close, why not keep it? But I, it is still a mythical creature. I get it. And then St. Louis Battlehawks, I mean, it's just a clean update. So overall, it's practically unnoticeable to anyone that's just going to see it in passing. The the Brahmas is interesting because that's the logo I think that there's been the most, that I've seen, the most divisive opinions on. There are some people like you who absolutely love it, and there are some people who absolutely hate it. And I think part of the hate also comes from if you remember when the reporting was first done on these team nicknames, that was the one that stood out as like, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, people were were not into that as a team nickname. So I think there's some still some residual resentment over that name being chosen and it being so closely affiliated with The Rock and, you know, the questions are going to come. Why, why is his personal stamp now on one of the teams that looks like favoritism, whatever the case may be. But yeah, that's, that's probably one of the most divisive logos and color schemes that I've seen in the reaction so far. And I think it might have something to do with just the divisiveness over the, the team name to begin with. I'm glad you kind of brought up what you're seeing in the web right? Whether it's the Facebook groups, whether it's the Twitter threads. I'm actually surprised there's not more of it, right? Not more people soapboxing. And maybe you're seeing more than I have. I mean, of course, there's always going to be those that are going to let their opinions be heard, but it's not as much as I anticipated. Not that I wanted it, but I just kind of like, you know what? You're always going to have those people you just can't please. And they're going to be the loud majority, right? Or the the loud segment of of the fan base. I'm just not seeing as much as I thought I would. And it's not that I think these logos would have brought that up. And, you know, I used to hear all before this Brahmas just use bulls. Well, that's as generic as Wildcats, right? So, I mean, like, I was shocked when people didn't want that name. 
or that particular word. They don't mind the bowl being part of a logo, but it, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting, but no, I just, maybe you're seeing more of it. Maybe I haven't been as in tuned lately. I mean, not, not that I act like I got my head in the clouds or anything, but maybe I'm missing something and I've been on Facebook groups and stuff and I just, it's not as much as I thought I would see. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, we always have low expectations for these types of things just because of what you said, you know, the, you're not going to please everybody all the time. And I think just, you know, this is a, purely a taste thing and, and everybody's going to have a different taste in logos. Everybody's going to look for different things in color schemes and team nicknames. So you're right. You're not going to be, be able to please everybody, but I think the general reaction overall has been, you know, pretty positive. And, but I think the, the overriding more than anything else thought that I've seen is so many of the names were kept. So many of the logos were kept. And it's almost like, what took them so long? Like, like why, why are we getting this almost three months from kickoff instead of three months ago? You know, what, what, what is the marketing strategy there with that? Because it doesn't seem like, you know, and Danny Garcia had had in the press release had made the comment, Oh, you know, we spent hours painstakingly going through it. And, and I mean, I'm sure that's true, but for some people, when they look at all these team names that are the same and so many of the logos that are basically the same, it's like, really, you spent that long just to come up with the same stuff you used in 2020. So I think there's also a level of frustration that we had to wait so long for them to basically keep so much the same. Well, Greg, is it that they didn't want to bring any of these back? And they felt pressured as time went on because uh, the fan base. I'm not I, saying I, I that they did. It. I doubt it. You think that they, from day one, knew they were going to go with it, and they're claiming they spent all this time and effort into tweaking the Guardians logo, to tweaking the making the H more visible or more of a focal point, and put that oil rig in the more in the distance. I mean, like I can't imagine they spent that much time because here's the thing: Danny, Dwayne, Redbird Capital are not working on it. That's what you have graphic designers for, right? Yeah. I mean, and no graphic designer makes one rendition and, and puts it in front of you and be like, what do you think? They probably make like 10 of them. So like, how much did you really spend time on it? That's why part of me, I'm not saying I know anything. Part of me wonders if it wasn't their intention really to bring any of them back, maybe one or two, maybe they knew like the battle Hawks was just, it's, you know, it's poster child of a team and they, they couldn't, really do anything with it. I think they probably wanted to change a lot. I think they wanted to. I don't know how far down that road they probably went to. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I just, it seems, how could they have spent this much time in talking about that rollout earlier? What do you think? I mean, here we are 8 a.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. on the West coast, rolling it out. I mean, like imagine being Reed, Mm -hmm. a guy that's dedicated Mm-hmm. I have never personally, you know, met him or anything, but I, I know the man's dedicated. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy's getting up bright and early to watch. I mean, what are they doing to the fan base? 8 a.m. That rollout. Like, okay, it's on ESPN. Yeah. Did it have to be at 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 o'clock Western or Pacific? Yeah, I, that that was an interesting call. I'm not sure what the point of that was. I was actually stuck in traffic uh, on my way to work as it as it was being revealed. So you know, uh, luckily I I was 
traffic was very slow that morning, so I had plenty of time to check my phone while I was stopped in, uh, you know, in traffic waiting for the car ahead of me to go. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the thought process behind that was, but that being said, I think everything else surrounding it was good. I think one of the best parts of XFL 2020's rollout was the videos they did that were associated with the team names being brought out. And they replicated that a little. I didn't think the videos were as good, but each team got their own introductory video, which I thought that was nice. Uh, you had the ESPN inclusion of um, of things, and I don't know if any parts of that video were shown on ESPN throughout the day, but you had Laura Rutledge, who hosted the XFL Town Hall in Arlington. She hosted the five-minute video where she introduced all the teams. I'm sure that video aired on ESPN.com. You know, you had the ESPN.com stories, which had to be edited here and there to, to remove some things. So that was a that was another misstep by the partnership of the XFL and ESPN. But um, we'll, we'll get to that later. But I, I thought the activation of the team Twitter accounts at the same time was needed. Uh, that was one of the things I wrote in my story uh, a week or two ago about the XFL's lack of marketing in these individual cities. Uh, the fact that they didn't even have XFL uh, Twitter handles for these teams yet. I, I think a lot of fans were frustrated by just the lack of marketing in those cities. So I thought the rollout, those parts of the rollout were good. I think what you mentioned about the time, 8 a.m. was a really odd time to roll this out. And also the the synergy between ESPN and XFL with ESPN having to scrub the secondary logos with ESPN you know, sort of burying in their story the fact that the draft will be held on November 16th and 17th in Vegas. They named the location, said quarterbacks would be assigned the day before. And then Mike Mitchell goes and, and talks to the league and all of a sudden, no, we're, we're not commenting on that. We're not confirming that. So it just felt like all of this time to prepare for this moment, you know, and you, you still can't, you should be able to hit a home run on it. And I think they hit you know, a stand-up double or a or a, a triple sliding into third base, but you know, at this point with so, such little time left and so few major announcements left to go, you got to start hitting home runs on these. I don't want to come across negative, right? I do think, to be honest, right? I didn't watch it live, right? And I even put on Twitter that, you know, prior commitments, you know, I, I have a job, you know, this is not my primary gig people i'm sorry you know, people <laughs> you mean people, you mean you're not pulling in a, you mean you're not pulling in six figures doing this podcast mike i thought podcasting wish, was the, the money maker <laughs> i wish that was the case folks but i have a sponsor but it's trust me <laughs> it's not paying people for some reason think it does all right but the reality here is although there were good aspects about it right i watched the videos that came out from it you know right from espn and whatnot I think the league somewhat shot itself in the foot with that eight o'clock. You know, people like me, people like you that are in traffic, commuting to work, whatever. People like Reed that's on the West Coast, good that he got up, that he's that dedicated and he did a live reaction show for it. But the reality comes down to is I bet you most people did not. So I bet you they didn't get that going viral thing on social media that they probably could have really used to help market, right? That lack of marketing that we've seen. Yeah, it's great to be on ESPN, no doubt. 
But if most people are at work on Monday morning, who's really seeing it? Unless they're going to catch replays. Unless they got alerts on their phone. that says, You know, I can't imagine most people called out, took the day off. I mean, I don't know how much of an impact it actually made. It looked good. It looked very professional. It looked clean. It's as good as, but the timing, I think, really shot the league in the foot. Yeah, I I, th- I wonder if it was done at 8 a.m. so that whenever people were able to get up, whenever they had an opportunity that day, it would be there and it would be out there for them to consume. Um, maybe it wasn't meant to be consumed live. Maybe it was just meant to be consumed as you were able. So by doing it so early, no matter what time you got up and around, no matter what coast you were on, no matter what time zone you were on, you'd be able to to interact with it. Now, there's that. There's also the idea of do it at 12 Eastern, build up that anticipation throughout the morning, get people anticipating it on social media, get hashtag XFL trending on Twitter um, and, and do it. So, you know, there's that school of thought too. And, you know, I, I always hesitate because you don't know how much of the marketing is dictated by ESPN. You know, you don't know if ESPN needed some early morning content on a Monday morning because, you know, later in the day, it's going to be all NFL reaction from Sunday. It's going to be getting ready for the Monday night game. Um, you know, so did ESPN perhaps suggest, hey, you know, we'd like you to do it then. So ESPN is a pretty big deal for the XFL, and it's a pretty important partner. So if the ESPN comes to them and says, hey, we'd like you to do X, um, the XFL might, you know, rather than ruffle feathers, might just do it to accommodate them, even if it may not be in the best interest of the league itself. And again, that's just speculation. But when you've got a major partner like ESPN, they could be driving the bus on some of these issues. I don't doubt it. That's why I say I believe it's a fair statement because they own all broadcasting, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not like okay, ESPN, we'll just go with another partner to announce this. There's no choice there. I mean, you could yeah. say Disney, right? Essentially. But if it's ESPN, it's Disney. It's not going to go on ABC. It's not going to go on FX or whatever other platform. So I think it's a fair statement. It's probably more true than we may know, you know, or believe. Yeah. So uh, the rollout, good. But I, I just, I think it's just kind of missed the boat a little bit. You now, that's just personally, I mean, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Okay. So you mentioned ESPN. You mentioned that article. Things are getting scrubbed back and forth. So if you don't mind, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit further. Team names, logos unveiling. But then we got that report of assigning 16 quarterbacks, two per team on November 15th. And they did a confirm the draft will take place on November 16th and 17th at UFC Apex in Enterprise, Nevada, which is essentially Las Vegas. It's right there in the backyard. So there's a bit there to digest. There's a bit there for us to discuss if we got the time. First, the assigned quarterbacks. We've seen the Jordan Palmers and the XFL communication department on social media putting out the quarterbacks that, you know, whether we saw the pictures from Jordan Palmers thing first, then the communication department putting that list of quarterbacks out there. So we have a decent idea who these quarterbacks could be. What are your thoughts on the league assigning quarterbacks before the draft. 
Very similar to what they did in 2020. I think it was a day before, even the morning of the draft, where the league revealed the assigned quarterbacks um, to the teams. And I think in 2020, they assigned one at the time of the initial draft in October, and then they assigned one to, and I don't know if every team got a second quarterback later on, or if just select teams did. I can't remember how that went down, but I think having two quarterbacks, if if the league has enough quarterback depth to assign two quarterbacks to each team, I think that's great. And I think based on the list that was released by XFL communications of the players working with Jordan Palmer, some of the names that we've seen uh, be reported as being in the draft pool, some of the names who've been reported uh, to being in the NFL Alumni Academy. I think it's a pretty decent crop of quarterbacks. I, I like the list of guys who, who seem to be available. Um, it's not confirmed that all of them will be headed into the XFL, but if the XFL can sign 16 of them, um, I think that's a big coup for them. And and not only are you making yourself stronger, but, and this is going to be the story going forward when it comes to, to getting players, you're keeping those players out of the hands of your competition, the USFL. I understand why they did it. And yes, 2020, they assigned the eight quarterbacks. I don't remember what the rest of that was. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't remember how the rest of that played out. If there were additional signed with just a handful of teams or what. So I do understand why they're doing it. It just seems like it's another missed opportunity for the league. You know, I think that draft, we know the quarterback's the most focal position, right? It's the position. I just can't help but think that could be beneficial to have a little bit of that in the draft for some more additional buzz. And it just, I get also why you're right. I think it's the USFL. I think it's more USFL driven than it's what they did in 2020 driven. I think it's, we have to get people actually signed, not just hope and pray. They'll hang around and see if they get drafted. People are going to take the guarantee. These guys are trying to, you know, reach their goal, make it to the national football league. That's what they're trying to do. So I get it. I know why it just seems like, ah, it would be nice to assign one to each team. And then let's see if the draft can help create some more buzz. So you can create, Oh, is that guy going to, he might be better than the guy they assigned. But when you assign two, now it's like, okay, well, we don't know who the, the front runner is, but you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's enough for us to speculate and chew on for a bit. The one thing missing from the ESPN.com article announcing the draft date and location was where it was going to be broadcast. I think the assumption was based on what Doug Whaley had said months ago on the inside the league Zoom call he did, which I was on and I reported on for XFL board. He didn't have a draft date for us because he, you know, the league had to get together with its television partner. So the assumption from that was ESPN may be interested in broadcasting at least some portion of the XFL draft. And that wasn't mentioned in the article. So we're not really sure what form the draft is going to take. Certainly doing it at UFC Apex tells you it's going to be a bigger show than the conference call that it was in 2019. Um, But we still don't know what form it's going to take. And they could officially assign the quarterbacks the day before the draft, but not announce them until draft night. I think that would be the way to go. Come out and, and treat it like the first round and say, you know, the Houston Roughnecks have selected quarterbacks. Boom, boom. 
you know, do a video package on them, talk about the competition between the two in camp, what's it going to be like, and then, you know, go to the next team's quarterbacks and then start in with the, the draft proper. So there is a way to do it to still make it compelling on draft night, but I think it really all comes down to what what is the presentation of this draft going to look like? I think it's ESPN. I mean, if they're willing to talk about it and if Doug was kind of floating that idea out there or that possibility. It's just strange to me then that it wasn't, you know, the, the, the article had the details about the when, it had the details about the where, it had the details about the quarterback assignments, but it didn't say anything about being on ESPN. Um, and, and who knows, maybe that's an announcement the the league and the network want to make together. But, you know, we're, we're coming up on two weeks now until that. Uh, so that's that's going to have to be coming pretty soon. It could be just on ESPN Plus. I mean, the reality is yeah. it might. That's why it may not just be announced. I mean, most broadcasting schedules are made. You know, if you go online and you click on it, you don't see it on ESPN or ESPN Two or ESPN News, whatever. You'll you'll pretty much get the idea that it's not going to be part of their plan. You know, traditional pro, uh, programming. So, yeah. I get it. So, not to beat on the draft too much here, but are you okay with the 16th, 17th? I mean, being, you know, midweek, is that an issue for you? Um, no, um, I, I don't think this is going to be, and maybe in the future, it could become a bigger thing if the XFL gets bigger and, you know, it, it's kind of like what the NFL draft was, you know, the NFL draft, when it first started being broadcast in the early eighties and, and Mel Kuyper always tells the story every year, you know, somebody from ESPN says, who's going to want to watch that. And now it's become this multi-day extravaganza. It used to be just Saturdays and Sundays. Now it's fr- Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, all day. So I think if the XFL becomes popular, and becomes a mainstay on ESPN and ESPN really invests a significant amount of money into the XFL. I think you could see the draft taking on uh, more importance. And that means, you know, maybe a primetime slot, maybe weekend slot, whatever the case may be. But as far as just starting out, keeping it simple, I think is probably the best. I agree with you. I really don't see an issue with it whatsoever because I mean, the reality is it is an alternative football league. It's not the National Football League. And, you know, we're in the middle of the National Football League season. So Monday night football, Thursday night football, there's your window. Right? If you kind of get into anything else, there's a lot of college games going on, even a lot of high school games on Fridays and stuff. So I think it kind of gets to a point. It's the only time that makes sense Mm -hmm. to actually do it. If you're going to try to get any buzz out of it, that those are the two days to do it. So, again, we're not going to beat on it too much. But how about this? Did they get the draft location right? Um, in terms of, is it a good place to hold the draft? Or are you second guessing that the draft is actually going to be held there? I'm going to be honest. I'm surprised at the decision to use the UFC's facility. But it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. If anyone really looks up this facility, please do. It is state of the art. UFC does a lot of different things through there that, you know, they have the room where they could take out that octagon and that's probably where they're going to do the draft. They have the, the studio already set up where they could do studio analysis. So it is perfect location. And I think, you know, Sin City kind of got that buzz to it. You don't have a New York, you don't have a Los Angeles, right? So if you're going to do it, probably Las Vegas is the place to do it. 
I'm kind of curious as to why the mm-hmm. UFC facility, why not a, up in Connecticut, Bristol? Why not in the New York studios that ESPN has? Why not, you know, why not the LA studios? They have, ESPN has studios everywhere. So why UFC? I might be speculating here a little bit. What's the tie? Why? Is it possible? We know the league was looking to sell up to 45%, seeking additional investors. What's the tie? Why UFC? Are they interested? Are they in discussions? Have they bought in? Why that particular facility? Not at, you're not at a casino. You could have used it. You know, any of the big casinos on the strip. Why that facility? I'm intrigued. I don't have the answer, people. I'm speculating, but my mind <laughs> is working here. I'm like, what is up with that? And I'm not saying you had the answer either, but I, I'm very intrigued. So I'm just curious to get your, your thoughts on it. It's hard to read too much into things like this because of XFL ownership and how many ties they have to different organizations. You know, Redbird Capital has ties to, I mean, their tentacles reach all kinds of sports properties, all kinds of sports leagues. Certainly Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson, you know, they, they are very well known. They have lots of ties to people and to organizations. So it could be nothing more than that, that this is, you know, they have some sort of tie to uh, UFC or, or the property and, you know, or, or maybe UFC Apex is paying them to do it there. You know, I don't know. So I, I, I hate to read too much into it or anything, not, not just this particular instance, but anytime they do something somewhere, you know, Redbird and Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson, one of the big selling points for them as owners is they do have that reach. They know people. I mean, it, it's kind of hackneyed to say, but but they know a lot of people and they can get things done. They can pull a lot of strings because they are uh, very big and they have a lot of, lot of different interests outside of the XFL that could be used to the XFL's advantage. And you wonder if that's what's happening here. And I'm not trying to just say it's the UFC. It could just be Dana White or anybody else is involved with the UFC, right? That might have interest. So, I mean, I'm not just trying to say the UFC are now invested in the XFL people. So it's just something that kind of got me. I'm like, I was just intrigued by it. I'm like anything's possible, right? I mean, what is yeah. likely? Who knows? Who knows? Yep. So I also sent you a message earlier today. If we had time, do you think we still have time? You got to run. I think we've got a few minutes. Uh, I think we've got a few minutes. It's it's newsworthy enough. We've got to touch on it. Okay. On October 31st, LVSportsBiz.com's Alan Snell reported the XFL Viper Stadium hunt. Some details to it. According to Snell, Allegiant Stadium is too big and too expensive for the league. Sam Boyd is closed, therefore unavailable. He also mentions that Las Vegas Aviators President Donnie or Don Donnie Baseball Logan, <laughs> a football field won't fit in Las Vegas ballpark. Snell goes on to state that the Vipers are likely to use Cashman Field as its home field in 2023. He quotes XFL Vice President of Communications, Jeff Allstetter, with the following. We are continuing to look at all of our options in Las Vegas. So upon looking up Cashman Field, I found out it has hosted professional soccer. 
And I do know the team, Las Vegas Lights FC. I didn't realize that was a particular baseball field they had played at. So, therefore, a soccer field is larger. A professional soccer field is larger than a football field. It has had a record attendance of 15,025 people for a baseball game. So I can imagine if they brought in temporary seating, they probably could get it in that 18 range. In your opinion, what are your thoughts if Cashman Field happened to be the home field for the Las Vegas Vipers in 2023? Good look, bad look? I don't know enough about the optics of the field. Um, I haven't looked it up to see what it actually looks like to really know. I, I think packing 15,000 fans into a stadium and making it look full is going to be a better look than having 20,000 fans in a 60, 70,000 seat stadium uh, that Allegiant Stadium would be. Allegiant Stadium gives you a little bit more cachet because you're playing in a big time stadium, but that didn't do much for the Tampa Bay Vipers and the New York guardians in 2020 you're right. um, from a television point of view and make no mistake. This is a television property. This is how the league is going to make its money. It's how it's going to sustain itself and survive over the long term. is getting those major television deals that so many sports properties are getting. So really from a television optics point of view, it might be actually better. Um, but, the fact that the league is three months from kickoff and does not have a stadium is a terrible look for the league. Whatever the, whatever the excuse is, whether it's Allegiant stadium was too pricey or whatever, the idea of announcing a location um, prior to securing a stadium deal. I, I just don't know what's going on there. And, you know, we've got the XFL PR saying that all options are still open, which, you know, makes it sound like Allegiant there. I, I want to make clear because I know that there's some reporting out there that Allegiant stadium is quote unquote out. Um, unless that is a separate rumor that someone is hearing uh, that was never stated in this article. The article surmises and assumes that Allegiant stadiums rent is too pricey. There is nothing in this article that says that Allegiant Stadium is out. And in fact, the XFL PR says they're still looking at all their options, which certainly makes it sound like Allegiant Stadium is still a viable option. But no, it, regardless of where the XFL is, even if they end up in Allegiant Stadium, it's just a bad PR look. It's just a bad look to, to be this far into the process and not have a stadium. You know, they could have, when they rebranded the teams on October 31st, they could have done something if they weren't sure they were going to get a place in Vegas. They weren't sure Vegas and they haven't, you know, they haven't started taking uh, people haven't started buying season tickets yet. You know, they've had the deposits, but that was the one season ticket thing that was never sent out. They, they haven't assigned a town hall for Las Vegas. So, you know, people are kind of looking like saying, mm, is this maybe a possibility that they're not going to be in Vegas? But the fact that the branding came out and it was Vegas, you know, they didn't, they didn't hem or haw about that. They didn't hold that back. Makes you think that they're going to get something done. You know, I know there's been speculation perhaps that if they don't get anything done, they could play at Choctaw Stadium for a year, maybe, or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I think that the whole process that's led us to this point, regardless of where they end up, is somewhat of a black eye for the league, for the people who are paying attention. Yeah, but the black eye would be playing at Choctaw Stadium. Yeah. I think that would be terrible, absolutely terrible look for the league 
that you didn't want to do this hub, and we talk about this semi-hub situation, but the teams are going to play in their markets. Well, now the XFL has put that expectation out there. They've got to play in Vegas or in the surrounding area of Vegas. They have no choice. They have to. If they don't, you can't trust them, right? If they don't, you can't trust anything that's came from the league because what they have stated is that the teams will play in their markets. They will build relationships with those individual markets. Everything that I've read, it's everything I've heard, and I'm not the only one. So they got to figure something out. If Cashman Field is only used as a tactic to get to Allegiant, even though Allegiant might be big and they may not even pull 20,000, let's say they get 18, 19, it'll look bad in a 60-some thousand-seat stadium. It'll look terrible, but the reality is they got to do something. I mean, at this point, <laughs> uh, they have to play somewhere. That's, that's, that's been the philosophy that I think fans have been taking with the XFL for the last year, year and a half. They got to do something. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of the feeling that we've had waiting for all this news and now waiting. I mean, this is really the next big shoe to drop. Is I mean, how do they go into Vegas and hold the draft and not have a stadium? <laughs> you know, like how do they? How do they Perfect. go in there? Thank and you do for that, saying that because you know? that's exactly I mean, that's, what I'm thinking. It doesn't make any sense. Is the, that why they don't want to? The league doesn't want to confirm that it's in Vegas because they know that it could be a bad look if they don't have a stadium. But guess I, what? I, it, We're only yeah. a couple weeks away, Craig. Like, <laughs> what, what's the holdup? Sign with this, Cashman Field if you have to. Got to have someplace. This whole process has been pretty bizarre. And the the silence, you know, I know people are criticizing the silence of the league, but like, what are they supposed to say? Do you want them to send out a press release that says, yeah, we got nothing. We're, we're still working on it. Like, I mean, that's just not realistic. I mean, so, but the question and just the, the time that it's been since those stadiums have been announced. And then you, you know, you backtrack from the stadium announcements that were made and figure, you know, how many months of negotiations had happened prior to that to lock down all those leases. And then it's been two, three months since then. And there's still nothing. It's just, it's just unbelievable that, that we're in this position. And I don't know if it's just like they're in a staring contest and uh, Allegiant and the XFL, neither one of them wants to blink. I, I don't know what the deal is, but it's just, it's very strange. Maybe they don't play a home game. Maybe they're the Harlem Globetrotters of the XFL. I, listen, I don't believe that. I don't, like, but I'm like, anything's possible, I guess. I mean, you're not going to build a fan base if you play down in Arlington, right? Yeah. If that's your home venue. So maybe you're better off just playing on the road because no, who's going to buy home games in Arlington if they're playing the Orlando Guardians? Well, we, we, we had the answer to that question for the USFL and it was not pretty. Is it nobody? It's very few people. <laughs> very, very few people are showing up in Birmingham for non-Birmingham games. So that's the precedent right now that they're trying to avoid. And again, it's a TV property. You can't, you can't have the stands look like that. You just can't do it. And the USFL took a risk on it. And I think that was a big detractor for a lot of people in watching those games is it just gave the impression of a cold product for the people who didn't understand what the USFL was doing with the hubs. Yeah, I don't want to bash the league. I mean, we I'm grateful it's coming back. And it's not because I have a podcast. I created a podcast because I, I followed the league in 2001. Was a season ticket holder in 2020. Even if there wasn't a team in Florida when they didn't know, I started this just in hopes that it, I wanted to watch this league again. 
for whatever reason, 2020 really nailed it, knocked it out of the park. So I'm really looking forward to this league. But it's just for whatever reason, this particular ownership, I had high expectations for. Still yeah. high expectations for. And for whatever reason, they haven't quite just delivered anywhere in the realm of what I thought would have been coming. Agreed. Now it's it's still early. <laughs> Not too much time left, but it's still early. The season kicked off. But at some point, when are we going to see those professionals in these these key areas actually deliver on what we know they're capable of? That's it. And I always say, and I said it in 2020 leading up to that League 2 when people were complaining about the same similar stuff to what, what you're seeing people complain about today, is once that ball gets kicked off on February 18th, all of this is going to be forgotten. Right. We're going to be so tunnel vision into the season, living week to week. No one's going to remember that the logo for the Guardians was off or the Brahmas was a dumb name or they hated the rollout for the, No one's going to remember that. It's all going to be the on-field portion because that's where the XFL is going to make its money. That That's where the, the product is going to live or die is between those white lines. So all of this other stuff is noise. And it's all we have to talk about now, so that's why it's getting all this press, and that's why we're doing so much talking about it. But once the season kicks off, if the product on the field is, is of high quality, if they're able to attract an audience, none of this stuff's going to matter. I just hope they haven't turned anybody away, turned them off from wanting yeah. to tune in. I don't think it's the case. I know a lot of people talk that way. You know, We see all sorts of things on social media all the time, how people claim they're going to do X, Y, or Z, and people don't always do what they claim they're going to do. So... I just hope they really haven't turned some people off. I hope that their lack of follow through in certain key areas hasn't hindered them. So when they do kick off that they're not actually behind the eight ball from where 2020 was, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I really, I hope that's not the case. I think that's more likely than people just saying, forget it. It's the people in San Antonio. It's the people in Orlando you got to get people to and the those stadium. Are the and those people, are new though, Mike, those are the those are the people who are not paying attention yet. You know, they're not they're not paying attention to the minutia that the super fans like you or I are paying attention to. So I don't think really the league has had a chance to lose them yet. Um, they're they're just starting to cultivate that fan base in a lot of those cities. I think. I agree, but I don't even think they've had a chance to gain them either because they haven't really done much probably in those. Right. And that's where the Las next Vegas. Well, that's where the next three months are going to be really important. So, well, Greg, as always, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show again Mm -hmm. to discuss these XFL names, logos, the ESPN article, the LVSportsBiz.com article, and, you know, just everything else. So it's always a pleasure, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. For one more time, in case somebody didn't catch it the last time around, if our listeners want to follow you and your work, where can they do so? So you can follow me on Twitter at Greg M Parks and I write for XFLboard.com. So probably be having an article up at some point this week. And obviously as the league starts moving forward and starts to be that runaway train that I think people are expecting, uh, I'll be writing more and more. So that's where you can find my work. All right, perfect. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. You're welcome. It is a pleasure having Greg on the show. He is a committed member of the XFL community who always has interesting and respected insight on league matters.
As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by LV Sport Business' Alan Snell to discuss Las Vegas Viper Stadium situation and the league's awareness in the market. Snell is a credentialed journalist who has covered the business side of sports for respected news agencies, South Florida's Sun Sentinel, Tampa Tribune, and the Las Vegas Review Journal. In addition, his work includes the launch of a sports business website for foxsports.com called foxsportsbiz.com, as well as articles that have been published in Companion Magazine and the Nevada Independent. Snell is also a top bicycle advocate and has published two books. Welcome, Alan. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss the Las Vegas Vipers stadium situation. Yeah, you know, the uh, Vipers, our latest addition to the rapidly growing Las Vegas market, and the only little hitch in the whole plan is that they're trying to get people to sign up for tickets, but the only little problem is that the fans don't know whether where the team is playing. And I think, you know, people go to games to enjoy the teams, but I think part of the experience is the venue as well. So, you know, there have been a couple options discussed about where the Vipers will play. You know, you have a potential NFL stadium that could be used, the Raiders Allegiant Stadium, which is, you know, a pretty fancy palatial indoor dome stadium. And then there's been talk on the other end of the spectrum. You have uh, an old baseball park called Cashman Field in downtown Las Vegas that's currently used by, I think, a United Soccer League team called the Las Vegas Lights. So a soccer field can fit in Cashman Field. And I don't know if they would need 10,000 plus seats, you know, for an XFL game. Uh, Right now, there's probably seating for about 10,000 at Cashman. There's probably room along one of the sidelines where you can put in some temporary seating, I suppose, and that can add several more thousand. But, you know, I don't know how, how many fans are expecting to watch XFL football in our market. You know, we were kind of chit-chatting before about how Las Vegas is reaching a saturation point. And we've been actually besieged with a lot of recent teams. Uh, in fact, the NBA G League is launching tonight uh, in Henderson, right next to Las Vegas. The Ignite, which is an independent G League team run by the NBA, they're playing today. And we also have an indoor lacrosse team that's playing in the in the in the indoor uh, lacrosse league uh they they're playing at mandalay bay which is where the las vegas aces of the wnba play so you know if the vipers are going to sell tickets they might number one work out their stadium issue very quickly because right now our market is definitely being balkanized by an onslaught of new teams Now, let's talk about that for a second. So, obviously, Vegas has become very popular. You know, the shift of what used to be the Oakland Raiders and now the Las Vegas Raiders, what, this third season in the market. You have the NHL with the Golden Knights. You have the WNBA with the Aces. It just seems like you got a whole lot going on. Obviously, minor league baseball. Now you're talking about G League and indoor lacrosse. Where do you think that appetite is in the market for sports? Because they were craved it for a long time with the first iteration of the XFL kicking off when they had the outlaws. 
Do we yeah, see a major a... shift right now with that appetite? Is the XFL kind of getting themselves into a market that they think is still very sports hungry because they didn't really have anything other than collegiate sports for the longest time? Or is it now a different ball game? Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, the uh, the original XFL team here in Las Vegas, you know, played at a time when UNLV basketball was pretty much king of the hill. And now UNLV basketball is, you know, fighting with all the other teams for the share of what would probably be the family fan kind of dollar. So the Vipers are kind of entering this market at in a very uh, competitive time. I don't know what they're, how they're going to promote their product. I mean, quite frankly, um, you know, you'll have some hardcore football fans who just want to watch football after the uh, F- Super Bowl ends in February, and you know, you probably have uh, um, a cluster of hardcore football fans who just want to watch football. But you know, let's face it. I mean, um, it's professional football, but to me, it's functioning as a minor league football product. And in fact, what's interesting is that the uh, this 2.0 version of the XFL has a new partnership with the Indoor Football League. And lo and behold, Las Vegas even has an Indoor Football League team, which is um, they're, they're a property that's owned by the Vegas Golden Knights owner, Bill Foley. They're called the Nighthawks, and they play at Henderson Arena, which is where the AAA hockey team plays of the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights own AAA team. Their feeder team plays right here in our same market in Henderson, uh, where the night is playing uh, starting tonight. And the XFL and the Indoor Football League, they actually have a partnership where players can seamlessly move from league to league. And, you know, that tells me that, let's face it, I know the XFL has, you know, wants to be seen as a professional football league, but really for all intents and purposes, uh, they've, they're, they're, you know, they function as a developmental minor league for the NFL and for players who aspire to play at the National Football League level. So I have not seen the um, the sports business promotional angle that the Vipers plan to roll out. You know, they and but and like I mentioned, um, it's still unknown where where the team will play. And, you know, it might be a good idea to kind of let the public in on where that where they're going to play, because. If I believe the date, I believe it's the weekend after the Super Bowl uh, for the XFL start. So, you know, that's coming up already. You know, we're talking, you know, four months away. So, you know, they might <laughs> it might be a good time to, you know, let people in on where exactly they're going to be playing. Like I said, you know, part of the sports experience, I think, uh, is taking people is taking your family or your friends to the venue. I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, everyone roots for your home team, but at the end of the day, you know, these sports events are as much, a, you know, kind of a social entertainment product as they are a sports product. And, you know, de- depending on the venue, it, it could be a very different experience if you're playing at Allegiant Stadium, which is going to be very expensive to rent. And, you know, it's a 62,000 seat domed indoor stadium very fancy palatial stadium and then you have cashman field they apparently did look at the las vegas aviators baseball park which is in the suburb of summerlin and the president of the aviators told me that uh, they felt the football field would not be a good fit for their ballpark and he actually is the one who recommended that 
they go and look at Cashman Field. I mean, quite frankly, I know the XFL would like to have big crowds at their games, but I mean, realistically speaking, in our market, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I can't imagine them drawing, you know, more than 10,000 people to a football game here, you know, live. I'm sure their attendance numbers will say 12 or 15 or 18,000, but those are usually the number of tickets distributed, the actual human beings that walk through the turnstile. I mean, I'm guessing will probably be in the eight to 10,000 kind of mark, kind of, you know, maybe where UNLV football is right now. UNLV football, which is they're four and four. They play at San Diego State this weekend on Saturday. Uh, they did w- win for, for their first five games. There was a kind of a nice little buzz around UNLV football. And there were probably, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 people max, you know, at Allegiant Stadium to watch UNLV football. So um, it'll be, I'm, I mean, the XFL, I think, could exist here. There's a lot of sports products in our market right now. But like I said, it would really behoove them to, you know, get their venue set up and let people know where they're playing. Yeah, the stadium situation's really interesting. I tried to do some research on Cashman. And according to the layout of the ballpark, it appears to be a little bit short of getting a legitimate football field in there. So have you been to Cashman? Anytime yeah, recently, have they altered it in any way? Well, I know I do know that the soccer field fits in there. I, I believe a soccer field is bigger than a football field. I mean, I know it's at least wider. Um, well, technically, and, just to give you an idea, Alan, so right. I obviously play and follow and all sorts of things with soccer as well. FIFA has kind of some loose parameters for the length of the field. It can't be any longer than a certain length and it can't be any shorter than a certain length. And same with the width based off whatever length it is, it has to be a certain width based off a certain length and it can't be any narrower than a certain thing. So technically FIFA, the governing body of professional soccer does have some leeway, very similar to what we see with baseball with their ballparks, right? No walls or the same length and or shape going around depending how they do it. So FIFA kind of has some leeway, which makes me wonder, has Cashman altered? Is baseball still being played at Cashman for any other team? Has it been just primarily a soccer field now? And if so, have they altered those walls maybe so that football could fit in there? I'm just, these are just some questions I had throwing a lot at you here that you may or may not have information for. Yeah, the um, the Aviators, which were the 51s, they, you know, they played um, – their triple a baseball at Cashman for a very long time for like 30 years. So uh, it's always been a baseball ballpark, but they shared it in the last few years uh, with the, with the soccer team, the lights, the Las Vegas lights play United soccer league. So I do know the, I mean, the soccer team, the soccer field does fit into Cashman. And I do notice there is a lot of space on the side, one of the sidelines. And, you know, when I look at that open space, I just thought that, you know, you could put temporary seating in there if you really wanted to, but as of right now, I mean, it does, it definitely accommodates, you know, a conventional soccer field. I know it seats what 9,334 is what it yeah, says. I mean, you can, based you can, off you can, with no, 
It's fixed seats. That yeah, I think there's, there's fixed seats room. about 9,500. You can probably get 10,000 people in there. So, And if they go the route that some professional soccer teams have done at baseball stadiums before, if we travel back in the day, you and I were talking earlier about I was from New York and you have your ties to New York. The Rochester Red Wings, the baseball team, the AAA affiliate there, they play at Frontier Field in downtown Rochester. And at one point in the early days, the Rochester Rhinos, then the Raging Rhinos, uh, played at Frontier Field. And what they did do is they utilized that space along the side, on that one side, and they did bring in temporary seats. We also see that down here in Florida with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They play at, I think it's Al Lang Stadium or something like that. That's an old uh, spring training ballpark there. And they've converted that on the one side with some, now, I believe fixed seats, but it kind of goes along that side. So it's not far-fetched. Obviously, people have done it, right? There's different variations of fixed seating or temporary seating they can bring in to make it look. So if they wanted to, they could literally add seats. But what I'm also intrigued with is that even despite having 9,000 and change, I believe back in like 1993, the record for Cashman Field and attendance was somewhere around 15,000 because of a Major League Baseball game between the White Sox and the Cubs. There's obviously room somewhere there, whether standing room only and all that. Obviously, it's easy that they could add seats or get capacity. So it doesn't seem like a concern for the XFL or fans that are viewing, oh, this is going to be a terrible venue. It just doesn't make sense. Because even if we look down at Choctaw Stadium that has been converted now, is a football facility. It used to be a baseball field there for the um, Texas Rangers. We can see how they've altered that. So we know that it can be done. It's just a matter of is that what avenue the XFL is willing to pursue? Does it seem like the amenities of that stadium are current enough to house even a professional team? I know there's a soccer team there, but is it kind of outdated? I haven't obviously been to the stadium. I'm yeah, just I mean, it's, a, it's an old facility. Um, the baseball team definitely wanted to get out of there because uh, it was even outdated by AAA baseball standards. So um, you, you definitely don't have a lot of fancy amenities in there. In fact, maybe 60% of the seats are actually on benches. I mean, you have, you have fixed seats, uh, which go down maybe – to like, you know, the first and third base sides down to the baseball bags. And then past that, you have basically metal benches. So <laughs> we're not talking a, uh, you know, kind of a fancy ballpark. Uh, there's not much, uh, you know, premium seating. There is an area, there's kind of an open area, which is kind of like an opal, open club restaurant kind of area that, is like their premium seating area. There's no suites, which is, you know, kind of a, for the modern facility, that's kind of a problem. But, you know, you got to look at who's playing there. The XFL, like I said, if it really wants to promote itself as the kind of like the minor league feeder developmental league, you know, for the NFL, you know, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a fancy schmancy, you know, stadium. If the focus is on, you know, these are the NFL stars of tomorrow kind of thing, you know, so the focus will be on watching, 
you know, uh, you know, triple A football uh, at a, a, you know, a, you know, presumably a an affordable price, which is, you know, I think pretty much what they should shoot for. You know, they're not going to compete against the NFL, and you know, they've already said that they're, you know, if you the the early um, video spots that I've seen of the Rock kind of, you know, basically pass that message that, you know, um, these are players who are following their dreams and trying to get to the NFL. And so, you know, you don't need a fancy stadium. You know, these are, you know, these are players who, who aspire to play in the big leagues of the National Football League. So, you know, the, I, you know, Cashman can probably work. It's a functional venue. And people here, if they go to a game, will know exactly <laughs> what they're what they're going to i mean they're familiar with cashman it's a you know it's kind of a spartan no frills you know sports venue but you know it has a field that could function for a football field and um anyway they 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 have uh, xfl does have some like pretty impressive broadcast rights deal with the disney networks so you know it's 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 all about you know the, the broadcast product anyway, you know, whether they're playing at Allegiant stadium or at Cashman field, you know, the, it's still content and still programming for a major broadcaster, which is, you know, something that XFL I'm sure feels good about. So uh, honestly, it's, it's, if it's minor league football, it could probably fit at Cashman field. And also the thing to consider is, you know, Allegiant stadium is going to be very, very expensive to rent. If you're going to have eight or 10 or 12 or whatever, 15,000 people, you know, go to a football game. And I don't know what impacts that would have in terms of the price points, of the tickets. You know, I would think that it would be good for the XFL to make, you know, these tickets affordable and put them in the $20 range and, you know, and basically compete against, you know, some of these other teams that we have here in the Las Vegas market that are also selling, you know, minor league ticket prices in that 25 to $30 you know, price range. In your article, you wrote Sam Boyd has essentially been put out to pasture. Right. So Sam Boyd is where UNLV used to play its football games. It's, it's in kind of a weird location in our market. It's out by the Las Vegas wetland area, which was owned by the Bureau of Land Management. So I'm not quite sure what, what the future of the land is going to hold. I was told by the, executive director of UNLV's facilities that Sam Boyd is officially closed. So that's off the table. That probably would have been a good place actually uh, for games to be held. It's, you know, it's also a very no frills kind of um, it's a no frills, very utilitarian style sports stadium. Uh, And it's not, it's not in a great location. It's really on the edge of the Las Vegas market in terms of the geography. So Cashman is really in the center of downtown Las Vegas. Allegiant Stadium is, you know, off the strip. It's uh, it's in technically it's in Clark County. The strip is in Clark County, and you know people have you know know how to get to Allegiant Stadium pretty well by now too. <clears throat> yeah, I just in terms you know in terms of the product, um, it just to me it would have more of a natural kind of feel at Cashman Field versus Allegiant Stadium, which is an NFL level stadium. And, you know, I'm sure some of the, I mean, you probably know better than I do, you know, where the other, you know, what stadiums the other seven teams will be using. I don't know how many NFL stadiums will be in use of the 
you know, for the other seven teams that are starting up in the in the XFL. Seattle will be playing in the same stadium that the Seahawks play in. Okay. Obviously, the Battle Hawks in St. Louis will be playing in the former St. Louis Rams dome there. So it doesn't house a current team, but it did at one point. If you look at San Antonio, they're down at the Alamo Dome. Obviously, there's not an NFL team there, but that's going to be a pretty good-sized venue. Yeah, that's a big facility. Right. They're in some larger ones where they're probably not going to open up the top. No seats. I know that there's a movement in St. Louis to fill the top kind of a hashtag and whatnot. Everyone's making t-shirts and stuff, but I mean, it, it's going to take a bit. And back in 2020, right. there was rumors that they were going to crack 50,000 at the next home game for the St. Uh, the St. Louis battle Hawks, right. but the pandemic shut things down. So yeah. who knows just, what was true or like, not. It just seems like it's been the track record of these kind of, you know, um, these professional leagues where there's a big splash at the beginning and there's like a lot of interest. So you might get, you know, some decent, decent TV ratings and, you know, attendance numbers at the beginning, but then, you know, the, the novelty act kind of, you know, runs stale and it is what it is. It's, you know, these are, it's basically, you know, these are players who are not on NFL rosters and it's, you know, quote unquote, you know, minor league football. And, you know, depending on the particular market and just what games are going on, Based on what I've seen with the kind of activity going on right now in Las Vegas, I would just say it would be hard for me to see an XFL team that has like no track record here, just, you know, maintain crowds of 15 to 20,000 people because UNLV football doesn't even get that, you know, I mean, whatever their number is, they have like 17 or 18,000 that's, Tickets distributed. It's not the actual number of human beings in the building. You know, it's probably 10 to 12, 14,000 people actually in this Allegiant Stadium. And when you're watching the game and the bottom bowl is half filled and there's no one in the upper bowl, to me, it's a more exciting, dynamic, you know, kind of atmosphere. If you have 10,000 people kind of crammed into a smaller venue versus 10,000 people scattered around a 60,000 seat NFL stadium. And that'd be not going to be all around the stadium because the upper deck will be closed. The upper bowl will be closed. But, you know, to me, it's a more interesting experience when you have like a packed kind of crowd feel versus 10,000 people scattered, you know, all around a big stadium. I agree. I mean, it's energy, right? So if you come with two people, three people, and there's a lot of empty seats potentially around you, I mean, and beside cheering with your friend or family member, who else are you going to high five, right? Part of that kind of getting the crowd amped up kind of into the games. You can't do the wave. And I'm not saying that's the biggest thing, but it's all the little things that kind of go into it. It kind of impacts. I was a New York Guardians season ticket holder. And they were one game, I think 17,000 at MetLife. That's over 80,000 seats. It felt like a ghost town, even though they were using yeah. the lower bowl. I mean, we in our section were pretty full, but when you look out there as a fan, it doesn't, you can see all the empty seats. It doesn't matter if the, the camera angle doesn't zoom up and catch it. You still catch it. It still feels like the stadium's empty, despite even though we were shoulder to shoulder with people in our, our section. Right. But the reality is I get it. And 
you kind of want that thing. And that's why I think a stadium like the DC Defenders used, Audi Field, and they're doing it again this time around. I think it's about a 20,000 seat stadium. So if you're polling 14,000, 15, 16,000, whatever, in a 20,000 seat stadium, that still doesn't look empty. You could have a couple empty seats here and there. It doesn't look empty at all on television. No one knows how big it is on TV. So I get that. And I agree with it. So is these the only two options, essentially? From what you see and what you're hearing from any sources, the people, you know, the boots on the ground. Well, some um, Another place that people have thrown out has been um, Bishop Gorman High School, which is like one of the powerhouse private, you know, high schools that has a very, has a national profile um, football team. And they actually have a very nice football facility. I mean, technically speaking, it's nicer than Cashman. And it's a, um, you know, it's pretty, pretty, you know, people know where it is. So um, that could be uh, also, I'm not sure what the capacity of Bishop Borman is offhand, but people have been mentioning maybe, although honestly, I'm kind of curious if the high school would want to rent it to the XFL, but that was, you know, the only other kind of like uh, football field, which I thought could be used in this particular market. If you were a fan going to pay to watch semi-pro or, you know, developmental football, and you were to go to that venue, how would you perceive the environment? You mean at Cashman Field? Well, we already know Cashman. You kind of said it's got professionals run down, you know, but professional sports have been there. But this high school, would it feel like you're at a professional game? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, at the high school, at the Bishop Gorman, I mean, it's a nice, it's definitely a nice facility. And I think if you, you know, if you filled it with, you know, eight, 10,000 people, it would be like a pretty cool uh, atmosphere there. Uh, that's an outdoor stadium. So, uh, you know, if, if the season's going to begin in late February and what are they playing, whatever they're playing, uh, what are they playing, 12 games or what, whatever, how many games they're playing? Games and then two weeks of playoffs because it'll just be a semifinal and final. Yeah, I mean, um you know, that's a, that's a suitable time to play football outside in our market, you know, because, you know, UNLV, uh, they, you know, the games, when the games were at Sam Boyd, <laughs> they were starting games when it was a hundred degrees, you know, in early September here, which was ridiculous. But if you're playing in late February and you're playing for a couple months of football into April and May, it's completely suitable to be outside watching, you know, uh, football. I think it would be kind of a decent product to be outside. I mean, uh, I mean, if they do have money and they have you know money to burn and they want to rent Allegiant Stadium, I guess they can. It, you know, but like you said, you know, it's it's you know you'd have a relatively small crowd in this uh, cavernous venue, and I, I, to me, that takes away from the game experience. So, what do you think the situation is? Obviously, there's no agreement anywhere or else they would have announced a venue. Do you think that Allegiant is the discussions right now? Do you think they're talking to both? I mean, what, what are you hearing? Is it essentially that it looks like Allegiant's not going to happen, so therefore they have to now be open to looking at another venue or two? Where do you it's see this It's kind of funny. I was talking with about this. I, I thought a really funny because I think they're playing what? Are, are they playing like 10-game schedules or eight-game schedules or what? It'll be a 10 game season. So five home, yeah, home games. Yeah. So you have five home games. And I was, I was saying how it would be kind of funny 
for the Las Vegas team. Maybe they can be based in Las Vegas, but be kind of like a traveling barnstorming team for their home games where they maybe play a game in San Diego and play a game in Portland and play a game in Albuquerque or play a game in Boise and be like a barnstorming kind of team. I think that would be kind of cool to play, like split your five games between five different cities and just basically make it a barn, a barnstorming experience, you know? And I mean, again, this is the XFL. It's not to me, I mean, you want, you want to have like fun events and you want to kind of engage the crowd and that way you don't have to worry about whether it would be a flop in Las Vegas or not. You know I mean? I I just think we have so many options at that price point here in Las Vegas that I think, you know, people would come out initially just to see what it is. And, you know, they could probably, you know, assuming it's in that, you know, 30 to $40 price range, it'll cost, you know, a couple hundred bucks if they come out with their family and, you know, and check everything out. But, you know, there's just so many, we already were for our market. We already have a lot of um, sports products. You know, we have like a gigantic buffet of, of sports options now. And these are just the teams. People forget that we have NASCAR twice a year. We're going to get F1 coming online next November. Uh, we have a major golf tournament here. We have a PGA stop in um, October, usually, you know, and UFC is here. We're the home base of UFC. So we have a ton of, you know, uh, MMA, UFC events in our market. So there's a lot going on here. So, you know, this Vipers team will be competing uh, against, don't forget the Aces. They'll be, you know, they play. We're not a gigantic market. We kind of punch above our weight class because we have, you know, more than 40 million visitors. So there's a lot of, um, away, there's a lot of away fans who come for Vegas Golden Knight games and they have great attendance. Uh, but, but, but that's easily aided by uh, people who come out of market and the Raiders games, the Raiders games are pure tourist events. I mean, you have 40 to 50% of the fans are wearing the opposition's colors at the game. So, you know, that's also like a tourist event as well. But I don't think people will be coming to watch the Viper, uh, this Vipers team. I mean, you're in Florida, so you're willing to, you know, drive four hours to go to Orlando. <clears throat> but I can't imagine too many fans driving four hours to watch the Vegas Vapors, you know, play in early March. Maybe, maybe they might, but, you know, not, <clears throat> not enough to really make a huge, huge difference here in this market. So let's revisit that rollout. What are you seeing? Billboards, any advertising, any yeah, I haven't seen, seen anything. anything on TV, yeah, I mean, radio, any anybody talking about it? Is there any hype? Is there any discussions? Well, you know, um honestly there's been no there's been no Vipers promotion as at all. And they do have a very high profile coach. I mean, they do have uh I believe it's uh, Rod Woodson, yep, who is, you know, very well-known former player. And he's, you know, very talented, bright guy. So, you know, that's definitely, I mean, he might be the big calling card right there is the head coach is, you know, very well-known figure in the sport. So I think that would be beneficial for them. But, you know, the one advantage of having it at Allegiant Stadium is that, you know, you probably, if, if there are guests in town, 
it is kind of a cool place to check out. So, you know, they can probably get a lot of out of towners who are visiting Las Vegas. Let's say they're in for any conventions or what have you in March and the football stadium technically is part of the strip corridor, I guess, if you will, it's not really, it's, it's across our interstate. I 15. So, you know, if you want, if you get to Mandalay Bay, which is on the strip, it's probably like a 15 minute walk to get from the center of Mandalay Bay. You have to walk over a, um, uh, just a, a very, you know, a small bridge that, that spans the interstate. And then on the west side of the interstate is where the Raiders Allegiant Stadium is built. So um, I would I would think that, you know, they can probably rely on if it's, you know, if it is at Allegiant Stadium, they can rely on probably uh, enticing people <clears throat> and they can probably just give, you know, give a, a bunch of tickets to all the hotels on the strip and, you know, people might want to go a Vipers game, but honestly it has, <clears throat> this uh, Vipers team has had pretty much uh, not much uh, PR going on right now in our market. Well, it's not really surprising seeing that they're still trying to work out details. It's kind of yeah. tough to market something if you don't tell them where to go for a game and you only have, you know, with the coaching staff, you don't have players yet, but it is kind of difficult because I'm certain that some of these other markets that they probably got ramped up with some of the head coaches you can talk about the venues a little bit and i know that some of the head coaches are doing all the local radio shows i just haven't seen any of that coming out of vegas because even vegas hasn't even announced coordinators right so, right because uh, my understanding when i talked to rod when i was at the florida showcase he mentioned that they're all hired it's all a done deal they just can't announce them because they have previous commitments that they have to fulfill, whether it's collegiate okay. or whatever. So okay. once those contracts are over, then they'll, we'll announce them, but you can't even talk about your coordinators. Right. So, I mean, like it, there's a level of, you have a head coach, some positional coaches, you're kind of just, you're in that limbo. Can't talk about a stadium because you don't have a stadium. You can't talk about coordinators because you don't have coordinators. And obviously the draft hasn't happened, which brings me to my next question. You've already uh, mentioned the UFC is in town, right? They got the UFC Apex over there. UFC is headquartered here in Las Vegas. It's um, they did something really smart. They bought they bought a uh, a building uh, just outside of their headquarters that used to be a uh, kind of a gambling technology building that was owned by you know one of these uh, gaming companies, and they just gutted it and made it into a you know, basically a small little, little, you know, little venue of, you know, for um, maybe, you know, five, 800 people or so. And, you know, they kind of use it as kind of an uh, entertaining entertainment, a uh, little place. So, you, you know, UFC is here, but, you know, the apex is kind of a, an auxiliary kind of building they use to, you know, for, for tiny little small events. What's interesting is that when they, they being the XFL, announce the team names and logos ESPN in their article also mentioned that the draft will be the 16th, 17th of November and will be held at the UFC apex. Oh, okay. Paul has not confirmed has not stated where the draft is going to be held, but seeing that ESPN is one of the Disney networks right. and there's a broadcasting agreement there. 
it seems that they would obviously be privy to some information and they're probably just got a, ahead of it a little bit. So ha, you haven't heard anything about this to yeah, confirm? I mean, there, hasn't been any, there has not been any public announcements about where the NFL draft is going to be held. So, I mean, for the record, there hasn't been anything about the apex involved with this, uh, you know, XFL Vipers rollout here in Vegas. All right. Well, hey, I just thought I'd take a, a shot to see if we could have somebody else be, well, you know, I have heard a thing or two, but I didn't really think much of it. But I tend to believe ESPN if they're reporting on it, seeing that they are partners with the league. Right. So, so you'd think that there's probably some inside info on that one. You know, the one thing to consider about our market, too, is, uh, you know, before the NFL and the Raiders showed up, the King of the Hill was definitely the Vegas Golden Knights. They started in 2017 and had their big miracle run to the Stanley Cup final in 2018. And they really owned the city um, for the most part until the, you know, they didn't make the playoffs last year. And then there's been this onslaught of other sports products coming into town. But right now the Golden Knights are off to a red hot start. They're, um, they've won 10 of their first 12 games. They've won six games in a row. And this market right now is <laughs> starting to kind of regain that Vegas Golden Knights fever. So um, like I said, the, you know, this Vipers product has kind of a little uphill kind of fight on their hands if they're going to, and they're, and like I said, you know, there's a mega event tomorrow with this whole formula one launch party tomorrow. So, you know, tomorrow's is all going to be formula one, you know, the Raiders season, it has the Raiders season has been very disappointing. They're two and five. And they play on the road tomorrow in Jacksonville. <clears throat> but, um, you know, the Raiders haven't had a very intense buzz, you know, this year because of the disappointing record. However, like I said, the Golden Knights are 10 and 2. And um, they're beginning to kind of show signs of <clears throat> taking this market over with all these other teams coming online. So <clears throat> I think the Vipers have a kind of an uphill battle to um, find their little niche here in our market. It definitely sounds that way. It's unfortunate yeah. for a league that's looking to kick back off here in just a matter of a few months. So, you know, I'm kind of like you. I'm really kind of curious just to see what the Vipers have up their sleeve in terms of trying to promote their product. You know, in these other cities, you know, the like, you know, San Antonio, they have a you know an, a, a good venue, a big venue they could use. Uh, they don't have an NFL team. There are you know they're not overrun with all these other teams. St. Louis, they lost their NFL team. So, you know, they, there's kind of a, you know, probably a void that could be filled with football. But, you know, like, but, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, just how the Vipers uh, create their product right in the teeth of all these other products that are making their de debuts at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think it has a lot of hardcore or us crazies as a lot of us alternative football fans often refer to ourselves. <laughs> it has a lot of us kind of baffled in a way that the league took so long to announce the cities and then it took a while. Then they announce venues, but then one of the cities doesn't have a venue. And right. then we've been waiting for a while in a while. Right. And, if, and if you recall the initial announcement, which was, I think done, you know, when they uh, announced the cities at the time, I believe that, most of the other stadiums were announced as well, weren't there? I mean, I mean, I think Las Vegas at the time was the only team that did not have its stadium announced. 
you know, right. and then they, and they, and then they, you know, have this big thing just a few couple of days ago about, well, here are the uh, team names and here are the logos and they still don't have this. They still don't have the venue lined up. So, that, you know, I, I, I was kind of surprised that, you know, that they still haven't had a venue officially locked into place when the team was, you know, team name and the logo was unveiled. I try not to be too frustrated. I mean, it's easy as fans to get frustrated about things, but one, I'm not in that market. So my team, I guess is technically Orlando. Like again, I got the guardians back from whatever weird way that that just followed me from New York down. But the reality is I can see if somebody's there and that's the team that they want to latch onto being frustrated. But for whatever reason, this particular ownership of Danny, Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Redbird capital seem to have a particular way that they want to do things. And coach Anthony back to the St. Louis Battlehawks keeps telling people just trust the process, you know, embrace it. So here we are, maybe (laughs) just maybe, there is a deal with a venue taken care of. There's a lot to speculate here, but they're waiting for the right time to announce it with the draft being at the UFC apex. Maybe they're just going to try to do some sort of a unique way to push Las Vegas at that particular time. And if that's a case, I think they got to get rolling on that because if the draft is going to be the 16th and 17th of November, don't see a lot of time, right? We're down to 12 days. So, I think you got to kind of get that out there and uh, hopefully it'd be nice to have some fans in attendance. Like, I think it's what makes the national football leagues draft so great. It's not just that it's on television, but you have all these fans show up And if the expo wants to take advantage of that, and if it's going to be in Vegas, which is a perfect town for anybody to come fly into and do a million things, whether it's gambling or whatever. I mean, I flew in back in 2006 for new year's had a great time. My younger brother, so I get it. it. It's a great place to go, but now there's way more sports. So why not try to get that XFL fandom to come in and for a weekend or midweek, actually, because that's when the draft would be. And that's when the city is the most calm. I stayed there for a full week and I remember that kind of that dip in midweek. So it'd be perfect. Why not just try to bring some buzz to the city and make it so that it's just an XFL event midweek. I mean, wouldn't that make sense, Alan? I mean, it could uh, keep in mind though, that, you know, you want the focus to be on the players and the draft and the buzz around that. Because if they did, I mean, they, they could potentially could announce, you know, where the games will be in here in Las Vegas. Yeah. The same token, you, hopefully that announcement would not be drowned out by, you know, all the stories behind the players and stuff. I mean, I think that's to me the essence of the league is that, you know, you have the, these interesting stories of players who are chasing their their dreams and they're trying to become NFL players. And honestly, I mean, I know, you know, you have people who kind of are into, you know, following these teams. But to me, the personal stories of these players and the fact that they're still trying to, you know, um, have that kind of Kurt Warner experience, you know, where you go from the grocery bagger to the, you know, the indoor, you know, football league player to uh, a Super Bowl champion and a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, romance and storybook kind of dream that you have among all these players. And that to me is what what's kind of interesting. You know, I just hope that, you know, let's say they do have this XFL draft thing at the apex, you know, let's, if they do announce where the games are in Las Vegas, that that in itself would not be kind of overshadowed 
by, you know, the various players, you know, involved in the draft. Absolutely. I'm not trying to take anything away from because after all, my show is called Player 54, which Dwayne The Rock Johnson was always just that player. He was good, but just not good enough to make it to the NFL. So here he is. I mean, they they do have that on their side that Dwayne Johnson's a huge, huge name, you know, major. I mean, I thought he did a great job on that video. (laughs) You know, I think they had that like 90 second or two minute video where they, you know, where they rolled out a few days ago where, you know, the team's names were, and, you know, I thought, you know, it was super professionally done, very, very well crafted, uh, great, you know, has great voice, great video voice. And, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a big star. He's, you know, instant name recognition and their platforms are also very well known, you know, with, with all, with all the Disney channels they could use as well. So for the most part, it seems promising that they could get get you know get things going here it's just uh like i say it would be it would be in their best interest to line up this whole las vegas stadium thing as as fast as possible it has been a pleasure and appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to just talk about the venue situation which obviously sounds like we don't have it ironed out and obviously everything going around it you know just what the market is not getting from the league or now the members of the franchise and could come. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. But before I let you go, this is your moment to plug where our listeners can follow you and everything that you've been working on. Because I know you're a man that's got books. Uh, you have your own show. You have a website. So please plug it all. And so my listeners can check you out. Yeah, definitely. I publish lvsportsbiz.com, which oversees the the business and the development of the sports industry in Las Vegas. And I also have, um, I think a pretty terrific book that I'm selling personally myself called bicycle man life of journeys. It's a collection of bicycle travel stories. In fact, a lot of them are based on my travels around the state of Florida. And they're really uh, fun adventures, fun stories, wacky. There's a few sports themed bicycle rides in there too. So just each, all you have to do is uh, email me to buy my bicycle man book, which is a Snell at lvsportsbiz.com. And I'd be happy to sell you a book. And it's been really great talking with you as well, Michael. I really appreciate the time. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I'm all about bringing people from around the XFL community. One, obviously I'm a firm believer of uniting people because there's multiple platforms that we have but just people have different connections and knowledge. And this is just a sport as in alternate football. That's just not mainstream for whatever reason, it's still football. It's just right. this particular time of the year and these different leagues. So I think it's very wise to unite people, but then there's so many people on the outside of even our own community that are just sports people. And I'm a firm believer that you bring them in because you have knowledge of things that, the alternative football community does not have. And so don't many others. And I believe that it is a sports community that we're all going to flourish and get the most of our information because we know that's not always on ESPN or Fox sports. So we got to do it ourselves, but we can't do it without guys like you giving us the information. That's what's happening in the market. So I appreciate it, Alan. And uh, you're a gem. You know, whether people have checked you out or not, I highly recommend just going over there. I didn't realize how much stuff you had going on. 
until I was on your website. So definitely, guys, please go check it out and uh, let's, let's support Alan because guys like him have made a career of giving us the information we want for sports. Well, thanks so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure talking. You take care now. Yeah, you too. There has been too much silence pertaining to the XFL Las Vegas Vipers, including the lack of an announcement of their coordinators and ongoing stadium situations. I am glad Alan was available and willing to discuss those matters with us to help shed light on what is happening, or should I say, not happening in the market. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have a comment, question, or hot take, and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.